children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan... Tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? I love the efficiency of bourbon. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. Hello, everybody. This is Bear Their Souls with Dan Aguirre and me, Aldo Gandhi. Johnny Santucci is in the Bahamas, that motherfucker. <laughs> I, somebody on last week's show, it's a good show, but why so many F-bombs? Well, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> How are you, I'm Dan? glad that Tooch went to uh, the Bahamas. For a second, I thought you were saying he went to Aruba. That's where white people disappear, right? Remember <laughs> Natalie Holloway or whatever her name was? That's right. You hey, just to get the show off the right way, no sure. pun intended, I sent you a, a, a picture of a, a good hairy vagina. Let me see. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Holy cow. I wish I could show this on the air. And she's got hairy armpits, too. Yeah, a little bit. That's There's nice. a thing on Twitter called You Hairy. Uh-huh. If you follow it, you get great filth, like every time you log on to Twitter. <laughs> Have you noticed since Elon Musk took over Twitter that there's more porn popping up on the, on your timeline? Yeah, and I'm like, why do they think I want dicks? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. Don Burr is in the uh, chat. Hey, he's, he's got reason to be happy. Give Don Burr a fucking, you know, at least Don Burr. He's a, a Lions fan that we know about. I went in onto Facebook about 6, 6.30 Eastern on Sunday, and there was like 7,412 posts from people that I know that, that are suddenly Lions fans. Mm-hmm. I'm like, weren't you just saying, like, keep pounding hashtag Carolina all the way in Super Bowl 50, and now you're a Lions fan? Well, you know, and I can see that because long-suffering uh, Lions fans, they've made a folk hero out of this gray-haired guy who was in his 80s and the last championship game that he attended for the Detroit Lions was in the 50s. He's been on 
TV talk shows and stuff, and they keep showing him during the games. And I really, at this point, I think the Lions have a great opportunity to go to San Francisco and beat the Niners, primarily because it looks like Debo Samuel won't be 100% if he even plays. And he is he's the guy that makes that offense run. And unless that offensive genius to have as a head coach can figure out a way to make Brock Purdy work with Christian McCaffrey and the others, I don't know, man. That's that's what I worry about, too, for San Francisco. First up, before I touch on that, Detroit people that have really suffered, I'm there, man. I feel you. So the Don Burrs, I know two Lions fans in my personal life that are loyal people. Mm -hmm. I feel good about them. And if it weren't for David Montgomery, I would be rooting for Detroit wholeheartedly. I don't want to see that bastard happy at all. If they said he broke his ankle and he was going to miss the Super Bowl, then let's go. Go Lions. <laughs> Fuck David Montgomery. But I do think the biggest thing they got going for him is Brock Purdy. I know everyone loves Brock Purdy, but this dude is very capable of throwing three or four picks, in my opinion. And if he was on an average team, he would be a terrible player, in my opinion. I, I totally – I wouldn't say terrible, but he he wouldn't be nearly – I mean, they're talking about him as an MVP candidate. No fucking way. If it no wasn't way. for Debo and McCaffrey, McCaffrey probably more than Debo because he played in more games. Debo was, was hurt during that stretch. But that stretch that Debo was hurt, they lost like three out of four or four out of five games. They were not the same offense. And Brock Purdy is a great, accurate, short – uh, you know, pass system quarterback, system quarterback, and so he's 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 getting all this acclaim, but he's not, you know, Caleb Williams. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Well, let's hope because if we get stuck with this kid, we want him to be good. But if you're going to use that as a segue, like you said, it could be a smokescreen. We got a new offensive coordinator that resurrected Geno Smith's career, who was an absolute bust after playing for West Virginia and was nobody and suddenly was getting a contract. So maybe that's the guy that brings back Justin Fields to to what we thought we had in 2021. Now, I'm not a Justin hater. I think he's done a lot, but obviously not as much as everybody expected, hence this conversation. But like you said, maybe it's a smokescreen to make people think, oh, they are going to bring Justin back, and then suddenly they draft Caleb Williams. It's all, we've got like four months of this what do we do? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? It, it kind of puts me on the edge of my seat. It does. It's a, I'm already getting sick of it, and we we have hardly started. Right. Um, I just I was looking for something on YouTube, and it came up as a su- suggestion: this trial of Judah podcast. And I read the uh, the the headline, the title of the episode, it was something like fuck Swift sports network or something awful like that. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta turn into this. And this Judah guy is a guy that has been on uh, our chat a number of times. And he has got a filthy mouth towards anyone that likes Justin Fields. Anyone who calls him a bitch. You fucking don't know what you're talking about. Is this Steven me or whatever? (laughs) No, and I don't think he's related either. Well, you said his name was Judas. Isn't that the guy that like, oh, Christ and some coins or something? (laughs) Trial of Judah. I don't think think there's any relation or, or correlation. So I, I tuned into the first five, 10 minutes of it. In fact, Ravi was in the chat. So Ravi, maybe share your thoughts on that. 
Uh, and he is just going off on Swift and saying, you're a bitch, you're a coward, you blocked me, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, this is what we're in for, and I want no fucking part of it. None. I don't I want you. any of that stress. I want to have fun, talk. This is the greatest moment in Chicago Bears offseason history. We got the number one overall pick that we can do hundreds of different things, including picking Caleb and then trading Justin, but 99 other things. And then we've got the number nine overall pick, and we started showing some progress in 2023. This is a great time to be a Bears fan, and yet we got a fucking – Civil War, MAGA versus Antifa. <laughs> Hopefully, we're on the uh, Antifa side. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to be on any side. I want to be on the level-headed. Let's have fun. Let's have a drink. Let's let's uh, make love. Dan and I are going to kiss during this episode. That's one of the things I should have teased at the time. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've never kissed a male, but all right. What if? What if, like, uh, their side, then what if they bring Justin back and they're like, let's storm Soldier Field? And climbing <laughs> <laughs> the pounds. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that would be a great spoof if we could somehow pull that off. And if they had the religious protester out there on the megaphone, maybe someone could kick that dude's ass this time. Oh, that's hilarious. Like, I think he's a liberal. Go fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> he voted for Obama both times. <laughs> Robbie says he's not going to rip anyone. And uh, so that's cool. I just wanted to know, you know, what what, what the hell is, is behind that vitriol, uh, I guess, between them two. And I know that Swift, I, you know, I get alerts when he tweets something. I know he can be a little rough towards people who dislike uh, Justin. So I could see where the... Uh, how it would get combustible, but I was taken aback by this trial of Judah. And then he he says, and if you're a fan of his or a fan of Fields, you're a faggot. I'm like, holy <laughs> Am I? How do you know? <laughs> how do you know I've been beating off to gay porn all these years? <laughs> I haven't heard that word in a long fucking time. Yeah, that's a little... Oh. That's one of those you don't really say too much anymore, but no, it's, it's the other. I don't get it uh, for real though. As bear fans, like to me, I'm sitting here thinking, Oh, thank God. Green Bay lost. Thank mm -hmm. God. Green Bay lost. It's like, I don't hate Detroit. I've never hated Detroit. I kind of don't hate Minnesota. They're, I hate them more than I do Detroit, but if it were the Vikings in the title game, you know, I'm not so like God, Green Bay. I thought uh, if they beat San Francisco, they're going to the Super Bowl. So I'm so relieved that they lost. So as a Bear fan, I'm like, okay, whatever happens, happens now. But like you said, everybody else is like in a civil war here. Like seriously, like arguing over the quarterback and, and JF1 and Caleb. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I still, I told you I'm a Fields fan, but I'm just so relieved Green Bay lost that I just want to relax and not fight. You know? Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I, I'm also very happy. You know, I, growing up, it's weird. You know, I never had a disdain for the Packers, despite the fact that I grew up in that era when that fucking rivalry started. You know, I, I my friends weren't all anti-Packers. You know, we, we rarely talked about the Packers. Like, yeah, yeah, let's beat the fuck out of the Packers. They're in our division. So was it like Charles Martin that started it? Yeah, it was like Charles Martin. Exactly. It exactly was for me, too. That, that Ditka, Forrest, Greg era, you know, because Ditka made us hate them. You know, he ordered us. <laughs> That's yeah. what I got. So, uh, and, and so a lot of that 
continued, and I have a lot of friends who are Packer fans, and I go up to Wisconsin a lot and so forth. But now I feel like buying a 49ers hat the next time I go to Wisconsin. <laughs> they do lose to San Francisco quite frequently. Oh, like five their last five playoff uh appearances. Hey, maybe Frank you can Howard. wear a Robbie Gold 49ers jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great idea. I do. I have to buy a 49ers Robbie Gold jersey. That would be outstanding. Great idea. Yeah. So next time I go up to Wisconsin, I'm just gonna be walking proudly. <laughs> I'm a Bears fan. <laughs> you remember when Gold beat them in Green Bay? Uh, when Garoppolo was still there, when they were going off the field, uh, they said, fuck the Packers. Mm, yes, yes. <laughs> I was oh, like, why man. can't we be a part of that? Why no can't shit. that be, why can't that be, you know, little Santos making it saying, fuck the Packers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? If if I was 100% sure that Caleb would be the guy that takes us over the top, I would say, hey, Justin, I wish you all the luck in the world. I hope that you have a fucking Hall of Fame career in Atlanta or wherever the hell else you play. But if 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 God comes came down and said, yeah, we're gonna you're gonna be beating the Packers regularly now with Caleb, I would be count me in, God. And by the way, can you forgive me for all those fucking sins that I've committed in my if, life? Where's that devil guy? Maybe I can sell my soul and get this rivalry turned around. <laughs> you want yes, my soul? Can you give me thirty years of beating their ass in a Super Bowl? At least one. Okay, take it. Dan will make a deal with anyone. <laughs> I want the devil to look like Elizabeth Hurley in that bedazzled movie, though. Oh my god! I, I don't want to have to like suck at the devil's cock. I want to. I want to fuck Elizabeth Hurley. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a clip of her running down some stairways to present a BAFTA award, and BAFTA is like the British Oscars. And the the host is a comedian, and they are there's a reaction shot of him when she's coming down the stairs her boobies because she had no bra we're just bouncing up and down beautiful perky beautiful i've got to see this yo I'll, I'll find it and send it to you and so after you know she keeps like looking over at him because the crowd is laughing because he's making faces and uh so when she finishes presenting the award he comes to the microphone he goes that was the most <laughs> enjoyable time of my life. <laughs> and he goes on talking about her boobies. I, it was a great moment. I'll, I'll find that sometime during the show when we do media mashup and I'll play that for you guys. It's yeah. a great moment. She's hot. She is fucking She hot. was like hot young, hot middle-aged, hot however the fuck she old is now. I mean, it, she's <laughs> incredible. Did you see, not to change the subject, but... It's now the 25th anniversary for The Sopranos' original airing. I know we all have to get old, but did you see that picture of Lorraine Bracco? Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. That that looks like, oh, look, Lorraine Bracco brought her grandmother. She brought her grandmother. <laughs> this is Lorraine's grandmother. I mean, I look, I know Goodfellas was 1990, and that's so long ago. But God, man, like, like you know, who's somebody else that was really old but still looked like themselves? Um. Uh, Raquel Welch, you know, oh, she, yeah. I know she had a lot of work, but still like Raquel Welch at 84, you'd be like, I'd still eat her ass. Of course. Mm -hmm. Like this lady looks like she's on the golden girls now, but it's Lorraine Bracco. It's sad. Yeah. It's sad. I, but we, we all, all get old. We all get old. Yeah. Some of us yeah. faster than others. Uh, somebody said something about you and Nikki Haley. That's not it. Nikki Haley is the rhino devil. <laughs> I heard her, that Levin guy, you know, that Republican guy. Well, uh, we have, I was producing a basketball game before we came on and had to have yeah. segments of Levin before and after. 
mm-hmm. and he was bitching about her. Apparently, he had a segment where she complained about being brown in the South, and he was like, she experienced no racial prejudice. She grew up in the 80s. There was no racism in the South in the 80s. I'm like, really? But okay. <laughs> but Nick, yeah, but Nikki Haley's positioning herself apparently as being non-white, so like in every sense of the word, but whatever. Well, I'll tell you what, well, I don't want to talk politics, but uh, because we got a lot of really good football stuff. To we got enough about. politics with football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. So uh, we hired Shane Waldron as the offensive coordinator. It was interesting how that all happened. The Bears were the first to reach out to him because the organization, Seattle, has decided to change the complete administration. And as David Kaplan will say in one of the clips, apparently – uh, Seattle's uh, uh, own, or not owner, but uh, executive vice president, general manager, told the staff, "Listen, we're going to go through a meticulous process of bringing in uh, Carol's replacement. So if you guys want to go start interviewing for jobs, because you might uh, make the cut here, please go ahead." And so the, the Bears immediately pounced at that. What I want to ask you, Dan, does it bother you that? Uh, Waldron's agent is the same agent as Eberflus and Poles. Now, I, you know, I heard that too. I don't know if that makes it more conducive. I guess it does make it more conducive to get a deal done, right? I would think so. Maybe that's part of it. Mm-hmm. You never, know, you never really heard about things like that when, like, Wani was coach. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the GM Mark Catley's got the same fucking deal as Wani. You never heard shit like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it means. Uh, does it mean? Like they, they were like, look, if we can get a deal with the same agency here, we get it done. I mean, is that really part of it? I, I just don't know if that's a coincidence or not. I really don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it, it, Greg says that there are so few really good agents that he's not surprised that these three people have the same agent. So, you know, he knows a lot about the agent business. He's really good friends with a guy named Mike McCarthy, not the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I was going to say Mike McCarthy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We actually had him on as a guest, excuse me, uh, two, three years ago, and I've been asking Greg to bring him back. And after free agency, we'll have him on the show because he just knows a lot about the – free agency business. And I, I'd love to ask him those questions. I'd love to get Trace Armstrong and um, that would be great. Wouldn't that, uh, uh, Dan? Former first round pick of the Chicago bears in 1989. Who was the, the Willie the- Galt trade? Donnell Wolford. That's right. You told me that recently too. I can't remember which one was our pick and which one was the Raiders pick. Mm-hmm. Cause we had two first round picks again, a part of Willie's trade, Willie Galt. Uh, so I'm not sure which one was ours and which one was Oakland's or Los Angeles back then, but either way, those are the two guys we picked. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would say, you know, trace, trace disappointed me a little bit. Did yeah. You, would you say that too? Yeah. He was there from what? 89 to 94. That sounds right. And then went to the dolphins and did, it seemed like he played better with Miami than he did ever with the bears. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And he, I don't think he ever had a double digit sack season with the bears. Um, so it, it was, a. well, who's it, more of a disappointment than Alonzo Spellman or Trace Armstrong? I, I would say definitely Alonzo Spellman. Although, you know, if you look at his mental illness through one way, you would say, well, he wasn't a disappointment. He was sick and he, he couldn't help it. But 
when I first saw Alonzo Spellman, I said to myself, this guy is going to get 50 sacks and he's probably going to commit murder in one of them. He just was an incredible human specimen with the right. long muscular arms and the attitude and stuff. And so for me, that was a bigger disappointment because my expectations for Armstrong were not that high. Spellman would be like, man, if he doesn't make it here, he will win the World Wrestling Federation Championship. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen either. So, uh, I, I was talking to um, Mike North. He and I had lunch, and he had a story. Fuck, it'll, it'll come to me later. It just escaped my mind. But uh, the, the lunch that I had with uh, Mike and the owner of this great place to eat, Pennyville Station, if any, any of you guys are in Park Ridge area, make sure you stop there. It's a great, great place. The service is unbelievable. I truly believe that one of the waitresses wanted me the way she kept looking at me. <laughs> but I thought that about a lot of women <laughs> in my days. At and the was... very least, she probably had a link to share to you and say that's her only fans. <laughs> <laughs> but they were sharing stories, Mike and uh, the owner of Pennyville Station, because he, the owner used to sponsor one of Mike's TV shows back in the day. And I can't share, you know, a lot, but I will say that they got, to, they went to the Playboy Mansion more than once. And they uh. said, everything that you've heard about the grotto is real. And that John... Buffone, number 55, played with Chicago Bears. Um, Doug Buffone, that is. Doug Buffone uh, got the nickname uh, Scuba Diver. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I loved it. But they is had, that real? Yeah. They had wow. Playmates, you know, up and down, left and right. I was like so fucking jealous, man. I worked, yeah. I worked on TV. I never got pussy like that. And you won Emmys. I won two Emmys. I should have at least gotten laid by one bunny. Or at least got, Hugh. At least I, Hugh could have. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was at a golf course once. This is about 20 years ago. And the bartender at the, at the clubhouse was a former Playboy bunny. And she was probably in her 40s. Uh, but, man, she had a rocking, rocking body. And I could tell she was hitting on me left and right left and right you know so what are you doing after you leave here you know i get off at i and i just couldn't follow through on it for various reasons but uh that that was the closest i came other than jerking off the playboy center <laughs> you, you did come to that many times <laughs> many many times <laughs> so your reaction to shane waldron was immediately again i thought geno smith and i mm -hmm. my initial take and i told you this before we went on air and it's not to say, God, I don't want anybody mad at us, but a couple of the people that I talk to are sort of Fields fans. Not that that's the only people I talk to, but myself and, and Ron is kind of on the fence, I think, and, and the other Dan and Jay, you know, we all sort of just want, we ultimately want what's best for the Bears, but we still have hope that maybe that's Fields. And everybody that I sent text to thought the hiring signaled a possibility that Fields would come back given the Geno Smith history in Seattle. But comparatively, I turn on the radio if I'm shaving or, or whatever, just to have something in the background. And every like segment I've heard, whether it be Cap and Jay Hood or H Mully and Haw, everyone was like, well, 
this hiring seems to signal the, the beginning of the Caleb Williams era. I'm like, man, everybody I talk to feels it's good for fields. And now they're like, nope, that's it. It's Caleb Williams. It's just so interesting how everyone has the certitude that they know. I don't know either way, but it feels like it's a, it's a good sign for fields, in my opinion. Yeah, I listened to a little of Dane Brugler. He uh, works over at The Athletic. He does this great draft preview. It's called The Beast. It's like 150 pages, reports on uh, three, 400 prospects. And he says, uh, which I think is correct, Greg Gabriel said it too, and I know they're both friends, um, that I think that the Bears are still evaluating everything and that they haven't made a decision. They haven't sat down and talked to Caleb yet. That's a big part of this. If they sit down with Caleb and Caleb is like got poor body language, you know, and uh, doesn't seem interested in being a Chicago bear, then that's kind of a no brainer. Move on to the next quarterback or keep Justin. So it, it, the, 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 Preparation process for the draft is just really beginning its most important stage, which is when you talk to these prospects and make the decision whether you're going to invest millions of them and invest uh, the reputation of the franchise. Because if this, whether it's Justin or Caleb or anyone else, the next quarterback, if there's not success in 2024, it's the, the value of this franchise could uh, uh, pummel to, if that's a word, yeah. It could fall to you know from three point five billion or five billion whatever it is to billions less. Uh, this is a really important time in Chicago Bears history. I've said it. Let before. me throw you a wet a wet dream. So true now. I have a wet dream for All you right, here. I want to play a video clip of uh, this is Rich Eisen talking about Shane Waldron's hire and that he thinks this was a clever, clever move by the Bears because it disguises what they're going to do. And, and Dan, you were just talking about that. The Bears are going to be able to slow play this decision on Justin Fields. The Bears are going to be able to slow. This formation right now against the Detroit line. Man, the audio. The Bears are going to be able to. Not working. Let me see if I can do it. No, I hear it, Aldo. Can you hear yeah, me? You there? I'm here. I don't think yeah, you can hear me. audio too? I sure fucking did. Aldo, I'm here. I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm here. All right. I hear you now. Okay, good. For some reason, I've got uh, a loose cable down there. Yeah, the when you started Rich's clip, I could hear it and see it too. So. Okay. So it was just me. All right. Yeah. Good. All right. Um, all right. Here comes Rich. The Bears are going to be able to slow play this decision on Justin Fields now. Because if they hired Kingsbury, what do you think they're hiring him for? Right. They hire Shane Waldron. Maybe he's the guy that's going to finally find the way to unlock Justin Fields. And if I'm Shane Waldron, I'm like, okay, I got this plan for Justin Fields. I'll help you unlock him. And then I got this plan if you want to go Caleb Williams. It's not like Eberflus is coming in with all sorts of concepts, right? One would think he's the head coach. Maybe he does. But how about that for a little plot twist? This now means the Bears can go. Well, we're we're still wondering. We're still we're still we're still grinding tape. I I don't I don't think there's any tape to grind. With all due respect, because this weekend showed you. Okay, you need an alien at the position if you can acquire one, and that is 
in the quarterback spot. I mean, Fields is like half alien. I get it. <laughs> but do you think Caleb is full-on alien? Yeah. It seems like he can be, and that's what you need to do. If you can upgrade your quarterback position with all due respect to Justin Fields, restart the clock with a rookie contract and get somebody like Caleb Williams, I think that's what they're going to eventually decide to do. God, that pisses me off. And I like Rich Eisen. Why? Because people act like there's this certitude with the drafting of Caleb Williams that there's a guarantee that he's going to be some great player. And there is no guarantee. More often than not, the high draft picks are busts. But they act like, I mean, look how good, look at how happy everyone was when Justin was drafted three years ago. And Justin has gone through three seasons now, and you see the NFL isn't easy. But there's the, the, all the ex quote unquote experts act like as soon as Caleb gets there and he gets his 13 Rick Meyer jersey and he comes in, he's leading the Bears to the promised land. Who's to say that this short little guy who reminds me of Johnny Manziel doesn't get in there and struggles? I mean, it's just they, they act like it's such a guarantee that he's this next, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Montana or whoever the hell you want to compare him to. And how do you know that? Why do they think they know that? Especially when Justin has shown so much promise. Like, let, let Justin has shown more promise now than Williams has because Williams has never done it. He's never played against an NFL defense because this is what we're going to have to hear. Well, he's got to get used to the speed of the game. This isn't college anymore. So now we're going to have excuses for one year just being if he sucks. And then, oh, well, it's only his second year. And it's like the, the clock that we're restarting is the one that says the Bears can win. Is the, That's the clock we're restarting because we're going to be giving him excuses along the way. And right now, Fields would be going into his fourth year and ideally starting his prime soon. So people, I mean, that like Fields has no shot of ever doing anything, and Caleb is a guarantee. That's what makes me mad. The rest of what he was saying is true. The Bears have bargaining on both sides because they, they have plausible deniability that they haven't come up with a decision yet. But just to assume that Caleb Williams is going to do something, and you know, I'll give you another one too, and this is pro-Bear all the way. What if, what if Love in Green Bay had a great first year, right? Or first year starter, but what if they catch up to him on tape? Absolutely. And, and Green Bay gives him this monster contract in the offseason, and then next year he fucking sucks. Let's mm -hmm. remember again another Rick Meyer reference. Rick Meyer was AFC Rookie of the Year with the Seattle Seahawks. That is why the Bears gave up a number one draft pick to get this guy, and he he sucked the rest of his career. So that could be Jordan Love. That's all I'm saying. So that there's a possibility of that. I just don't know if it's such a guarantee that Caleb Williams is going to be this great player for the Bears if they draft him. And they said, look at the quarterbacks in uh, this past weekend. Well, let's look at him. Brock Purdy, again, a system quarterback, or if he were with the Bears or, you know, somebody like Cleveland or whatever, they're not winning. Mm -hmm. jo Jordan Love, show me again. And by the way, Jordan Love ended the game with a pick. Imagine if that would have been Fields throwing an interception at the end of the game. They'd have been like, see, he's not any good. He's not any good. But as soon as feel, or, or Love throws a pick, you've got sacred cows like Brett Favre coming out saying it's not his fault. He's a great player. No one would have protected Justin Fields like that. Yeah. I mean, I know Lamar. Lamar obviously is about to win his second MVP, and Mahomes is on another, you know, potential third, fourth Super Bowl. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're up there, the upper echelon. But the other two quarterbacks, we don't know that yet. 
Love has to prove it again, and I don't know if Brock Purdy's one of those quarterbacks, but maybe he is. Maybe maybe ends up being a Super Bowl MVP this year. Who knows? What do you think of Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback who just can't uh, get over that hump and get to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I didn't watch the game mm-hmm. uh, at all, but it, it's true. Like every year, they he finds a way. What if that were? I'll, I'll switch the question to you. Mm-hmm. What if Josh, because Josh Allen on paper, again, is better than any quarterback we've had. But what if he was the Bears quarterback and he had these great regular seasons and just kept losing in the playoffs? How would you feel about him if he were here? If the exact same outcomes have happened, like he's lost to the Bengals in the second round, lost to KC in the second round, lost to championship games. What if that were in Chicago? Would he be a disappointment? Um, You know, yes, because you have this high expectation for him because, you know, just like, Justin, he was drafted in the first round. He does superhuman things. And so you're expecting him to take that next step and be an elite quarterback. I would be disappointed, but I there's no, he's too young to give up hope. I wouldn't you know, give up on him either, yeah. Yeah, John Elway, what season was he in when he made it to the Super Bowl? A lot of people oh. used to say shit about him. Well, we made it to the Super Bowl in his, what, 83, 4, 5, fourth season, but he didn't win it until he was 37. But he lost three early on. He lost Super Bowls 21, 22, and 24. Not that it was his fault, but still, like you said, they were like, ah, he he can win these dramatic playoff games, but he can't win the big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, For years, they said that about Peyton Manning until he beat us. He couldn't win the big one. He couldn't get past Tom Brady, remember? That's right. Uh, what do you? How do you respond to Frank saying? So, what do you want, Dan? Another five, six years of Justin slow throwing motion, slow processing, holds the ball at three point nineteen seconds in average, which is the worst in the NFL, causing offensive line penalties, sacks, interceptions. I get the feeling Frank doesn't like Justin Fields. <laughs> I I don't mean to to. Uh, I'm really, I'm not being sarcastic toward Frank, but what exactly is the comparison here? What do I want? I want those versus what Caleb. If that's the question, but again, my point, Frank, is to say that even if everything you're saying is is has validity and is all true and it's all Justin's fault, it, but how do you know it's not going to be the same thing with Caleb or even worse? Right. When most first round picks aren't any good, most first round picks end up being busts. Mm-hmm. It's just it's being presented that he's this can't miss prospect, but how many times have they said that about somebody and then they weren't any good? For instance, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Mel Kuyper said he was a generational quarterback. He hasn't played like a generational quarterback. Well, so, he had one incredible playoff win coming back from against San Diego or, they, or Los Angeles, rather. I always do that. But mm-hmm. the Chargers were up like, what, 27-3, to and he came back to win? Mm-hmm. So he did have a moment. Right. I don't want to take that moment away from him. But, again, he's made the playoffs once, which is what I think your point is. Yes. I put something on X a couple of days ago, and I got a lot of likes, 113 hearts to it. I want to read it here. Yes, it's frustrating that Justin Fields' development has been slower than expected, but you have to consider other factors for his delayed progress. Ask yourself the following. Did Matt Nagy help or hinder JF1 in his rookie year? Did the stripping down of the roster the following year in 2022 help or hinder JF1? Was Luke Getze's lack of experience in developing athletic quarterbacks helpful to JF1? 
Did Luke Getze's play calling help or hinder JF1? Did DJ Moore have his best season as a pro with JF1 at quarterback? Did Cole Komet and JF1 establish a better connection in 2023? Could JF1 have benefited from a physical good hands ex-wide receiver as opposed to Equinemius St. Brown? How many different... Or Darnell Mooney. Or Darnell Mooney. Yeah, he's definitely not an ex. He's too skinny to play that position. And how many different offensive line changes has Fields experienced as a better quarterback? And could they could continuity and more efficient efficiency at the offensive line have helped JF1? I have more questions that should be considered when properly evaluating Justin Fields. But I think that's a good start. So when Frank asks all these questions about holding the ball and doing this and doing that, you got to look at the situation around them, the context around him. I'm not making excuses. I have posted over a dozen videos of me ranting about fucking fields, throw it, throw it, throw it, and, and you know, and being pissed off about other parts of his game. I'm just trying to look at this fairly. And I don't. I think a lot of fans are looking at the stats, looking at the one-loss record, and not looking at the fact that he's been surrounded by idiocy. So, I well, I comparison if if uh, Tutra here, mm-hmm. he always brings up Troy Aikman, and, and I'm not denigrating that. I'm pointing out to that. You know, the Cowboys are one in fifteen. They don't make the playoffs the second year. The third year they make it. They win a playoff game with Steve Berline against the Bears, no less. And uh, Aikman loses to Eric Kramer in the Lions. So it's in year four where Aikman becomes Aikman and they win the Super Bowl. Or what about Brett Favre? Brett Mm -hmm. Favre in his fourth year, let's see, 92, 3, 4. Well, technically more than his fourth. His fourth year in Green Bay because he was in 91 in Atlanta. But 92, you know, 93, they make the playoffs. 94, they make the playoffs. Uh, Five, they're eliminated. And during that entire run, there people were saying he was throwing uh, throwing interceptions too much. And Mike Holmgren, if you listen to Yurko, has talked about pulling the plug on Favre in that because he thought Favre was the reason they were losing, but they stuck with him for so whatever reason. And then in 96, they won the Super Bowl. Not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl in year four with Fields, but it has been done when it looked like, oh, all is lost with some of these young quarterbacks. Sometimes you just have to you go through the growing pains. Right, exactly. I think a lot of people overlook that. And to compare Patrick Mahomes and Justin Fields That's is not, not fair right. to Fields. That's right. It, it, it's exactly like Rich Eisen said. Patrick Mahomes is an alien. He is one of those handful of Mount Rushmore quarterbacks. You put him up there immediately based on what he has done in his short career in the NFL. That is true, and there's no other quarterback who comes close. I remember when Patrick Mahomes in his rookie season when he threw for 50 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards, people say, well, look at who he's got. Well, yeah, they all helped. Exactly. No doubt about it. Who does he have now? Who does he have now? Well, and that Rice kid's pretty good, it seems. But uh, your a, point, he's a, he's a right? Your point he is, it's it's rounder. right. Your point is, it his best receivers with the Dolphins. Yes, and and, and Kid, uh, not Kittle, but uh, Taylor Swift. I think he's been fucking uh, Taylor Swift so much. Travis Kelsey's been fucking <laughs> that. It's really you know lessened his game, and plus he's in his mid thirties, so he's not going to be the same. Player. I saw a photo. I know. I know it was AI, but it had Taylor Swift like making out with Andy Reid. It was so funny. <laughs> Was it a real photo? Or? No, it's AI. It's AI. But it looks so real, though. It looks so real. Like, this has got to stop. She really is distracting everybody now. 
Uh, and she was like funny. making out with Andy. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Already. I saw a picture of it because again, I did not watch the game. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. I saw the the meme of the other Kelsey brother like taking his shirt off or whatever. These guys are attention whores. Good lord, man! Like, keep your fucking shirt on. I just hate both of the Kelsey brothers, and I fuck it. Look, I respect the hell out of Taylor Swift for being the biggest pop star in the world. When the NFL has to schedule their games around her concert schedule, mm-hmm. not to be redundant, but <laughs> but. Whatever her tour, like they have to, okay, well, we got to put the bears on the road. She's going to be at soldier field, you know, like only Taylor Swift could do that to alter the NFL scheduling process. And, uh, but God, man, it, it really is a soap opera and I don't you like work, it. You work at a radio station. Do you play much of her music? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. we, we've got, uh, we've got a couple different country stations. We've got the one like the, like the classic kind of outlaw country, you know, redneck mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. but we got the pop country, which sort of come about between Taylor Swift and Carrie Underwood. That's its own little genre there. And then of course she's on the top 40 shit for what she's done ever since Kanye West stormed the stage against her and she became a pop star. Mm-hmm. So, which was like the best moment of her life, by the way, whether she wants to admit it or not. That really oh, solidified her as being like, who was that sweet little white girl that was attacked by the angry black man? <laughs> and then now suddenly she's America's sweetheart. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. she, if that doesn't happen, I bet you she stays country music. I don't know. I don't know. I think her heart was in pop music for a while. And, and you know, she's just so good at it. She writes all these formulaic songs, you know, with lyrics that to like uh, teenage girls and stuff and the the beat is something that just sticks in your mind shake it off shake it off you know what a stupid ridiculous song but after you hear it once you kind of want to hear it again you know and that's just i don't the, i knew you wouldn't <laughs> she <laughs> you has a more bl- taste in music than I. she do. has <laughs> a blank space and she'll write my name oh, i don't like i just i i don't know man but yeah, I, I really, I'm glad I didn't have to see whatever her antics were in the booth. And it's not her fault. She truly is there trying to enjoy her boyfriend. And I get that. It's not her fault that the producers are cutting to her in the booth. Exactly. But the NFL really is making, I mean, when you got Tony Dungy making comments like it's taken away from the game, not that I necessarily agree with Dungy on anything, but there are a lot of people that just don't give a shit about this soap opera, man. And they're forcing oh, oh, yeah. it on us. You're absolutely right. But I'll tell you one thing. If you think they're doing it a lot now, if the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl, oh. holy fuck. Because they're trying to appeal to a wide range audience. And the hardcore football lovers, fuck you. Here's Taylor Swift again. Instead of the replay on that fumble, here's Taylor Swift again applauding the fumble. That's what's going to happen. Watch. Hey, this, real quick, let me reference a story that I saw today. Now, I know this is two different things, but it it – it's sort of the same thing. A lot of this Taylor Swift, like you're talking about cutting to Taylor Swift, it's a lot like wrestling to me, like where they're pumping a story in subtly to the audience. Well, again, I don't know what this means toward the NFL, but considering the NFL is on Peacock now for certain playoff games, mm-hmm. think about this. The NF- uh, the uh, WWE just signed a deal today to go to Netflix next year, uh, really? leaving network TV or cable TV altogether. Going to Netflix, 10 years, $500 million. So that starts when? 2025. Okay. 10 years, $500 million to go to Netflix. I wonder what this means for the concept of the medium 
of cable TV now if everything starts going toward Netflix and that's why you're seeing all of the major networks start their own streaming services because they know the future of traditional broadcast TV is coming to an end. They no longer, you know, have the majority of market share. In fact, now I think it's less than a third. And so you've got Disney and Netflix and all of these other streaming services that have just t- taken over. And they, they're thinking to themselves, well, we have to do that too because now – we're making twice the amount of money. Check it out. Then Peacock, uh, they're getting money from subscribers, but they're still getting the money from the commercials. They're not stripping the commercials out. It's it's double the money. So from a business sense, it makes a lot of sense to them. But for us fans, us consumers, we're getting fucked in the ass again. Think about this comparison. Uh, USA provided, allegedly, according to numbers, the WWE in 2023, 90 million homes it reached 90 million homes. According to their deal, when it starts next year, Netflix already has 247 million subscribers. Wow. Versus 90 million people that may have saw their product with USA. They immediately go up to, you know, the possibility of 247 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I was kind of getting at, Mark, is like, who's to say that at some point that the Super Bowl, maybe not pay-per-view in a traditional like oh we're ordering a fight but maybe a streaming service though Mm -hmm. yeah i it's it's headed that way i'm i i'm i'm dying to read more on the netflix thing uh so mark is asking do you have the article in front of you the netflix thing um i just have some screenshots uh read what you got he's asking what's netflix getting i'd like to learn more about it too and i don't all right let me pull it up and see what i had Again, oh, yeah, I, it, it, the, the writing, while you're pulling that up, I'll say the writing's been on the wall for a few years now. Everything is headed streaming, and uh, young people are cutting the cable cord. I've got two daughters. Each of them uh, has their own place, and neither one of them has cable TV. They're watching YouTube. They're paying the $50 a month for YouTube and, and maybe another streaming service or two. And uh, one of them, I think, has Roku, which allows you to get the local tv stations and stuff so that's where it's headed you know i remember when i worked in broadcast tv that was that's how old i am you only had four choices in town it was the cbs station the abc station the nbc station wgn and wttw now if you wanted two or three more choices you had your euhf channel but good luck getting a good picture with the rabbit ears that's how fucking old i am <laughs> all i had uh saved was like the money deal and okay. and that dwayne johnson aka the rock mm-hmm. all these years the rock has kind of wanted the rights to his name but he sort of capitulated to vince mcmahon because he didn't own it right but he has joined the board of directors of that new company that owns ufc and wwe together mm-hmm. and as a result if his new venture he now acquires the rights to the name the rock so he's been trying to get them since 2000. The Rock now owns The Rock. So that was that was pretty cool. And uh, the only thing I really followed up, I could say that WWE is on Fox Network now. It is going back to USA. And then their show uh, Raw in USA is the one going to Netflix. Okay. And again, it's supposed to be 10 years, 500 million, starting uh, in 2025. Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. All right, I want to play one of the two media mashups. What I did uh, this week 
Dan, is I separated ESPN 1000 and uh, then I got another video rolling with the scores reaction. Oh, that's to fun. Shane. Yeah. So this first one will only be, I think, 10 minutes, eight minutes or so. And so we can react to the two ESPN shows that I picked and they have comments. Before on you start, is sure. there a, a, like without even just giving us a preview, not telling us the answer. Do you think that there are two distinct differences within each network or is everything sort of the same? That's a good question. I would say there is um I, I can't answer that for sure i do know that they all had different takes on it so i'm not so i'm not saying that pre predominantly that score people want justin fields or want the the draft pick although i do think they do want the draft pick but espn i think they're uh cap and jay hood I, I think they're a little bit more on the fence. In the second show, uh, Carmen Yurko. Yurko does a fantastic job of teaching us football in the last two, three minutes of this clip. Really interesting stuff. Get your pens and notepads out. Take some notes because you're going to learn some good stuff about football. He he always defends Eberflus, by the way. And, does. and th they accuse him of just kind of doing it like for a shtick. They're like, does he really believe this? I don't know the answer to that, but he does defend Eberflus quite frequently. He does very much so. And how about Albert Breer, NFL insider? I'm not sure where he works now. I think he got fired from one place and, and is kind of in between jobs, but still has his, uh, uh, rights for some website posts and comes up with some good stuff. He's reporting that the Chicago during the interview process, the Bears were talking about this could be your opportunity to coach Caleb Williams. But they also added that Matt Eberflus told the candidates that he was how exactly how Albert wrote it was that he defended Justin Fields. He defended him. So it doesn't sound like Eberflus is bad mouthing uh, Fields to any of these potential candidates. So what that means exactly, I'm not sure, but it, if you're a Fields lover, that's good news, I, I would think. All right, let's go to ESPN. Again, this is less than 10 minutes, and then uh, Dan and I will talk about it on the other end. And by the way, if you just joined us, Johnny Santucci is in the Bahamas. He's I filming another movie. <laughs> <laughs> Up Tucci's butt in the Bahamas. <laughs> Here we go. Shane Waldron is going to be the new offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. And there's still more coaches that need to be hired on the offensive side and the defensive coordinator as well. But at least you could check off that box. Waldron now with the Chicago Bears as OC. That is correct. He leaves Seattle where for people going, why is he leaving Seattle? Why are they letting him leave? They forced Pete Carroll out. And they told the entire staff, look, we're not sure what we're doing at head coach yet. They've got a number of interviews set up. If you get an opportunity, you have a family, we get it. We will let you go somewhere else. And the Bears pounced. He had other opportunities out there. So the question is, was he told, you come in here, we'll pay you well. Those guys make huge money. And you're going to fix Justin Fields? Or was he told... You're going to help us pick the next guy, whether it's Caleb Williams, Drake. Man, you're going to be integral in that process, but we're moving on. Nobody knows. Let's For those that's just getting into the office or getting in their car, as we talk about Shane Waldron, 
Waldron has been in football for a long time, but as far as him in the National Football League as an OC, with the Rams from 2017 through 2020, he has been the OC for Jared Goff, who you see now with the Detroit Lions uh, at quarterback Sean Mannion. He's worked with Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks in Seattle in 2021, worked with Russell Wilson and uh, and Geno Smith. That's where he started in Seattle uh, with Wilson, and then of course Geno Smith is a quarterback for Seattle now. This is the biggest hire for Ryan Poles to date because this offensive coordinator has to be able to design offensive plays for either Justin Fields to be able to get Justin Fields in this offense right, or Caleb Williams or Drake May, the uh, quarterbacks that are supposed to be at the top of the draft for this season. It's a huge hire because this hire will tell you for the next four or five years where the offense is going, Cap. All I know is is we watch playoff football Saturday and Sunday. We saw the offenses vertical. We saw terrific running games. We saw offensive line play that was off the charts. And because of that, that's where we want the Bears to be. It's not this, well, there's only two or three uh, offensive linemen we like, and there's only one wide receiver here and a decent tight end there. No, no, no. When we watch Baltimore, when we watch San Francisco, when we watch Green Bay, when we watch Detroit, when we watch Tampa, when we watch Buffalo, Kansas City, teams of that ilk, what we're seeing is is that these, this is the best of the best, the top-shelf teams. They're all vying for the trophy. And what we saw is electric running game and quarterbacks that got the ball out in two and a half seconds or less and tight ends that were right there blocking right there, wide receivers blocking. We saw that as well. And we compare that to the Bears and go, boy, Bears have a long way to go. When we see playoff football and we see the Bears, it's like, man, there still needs some time for this Bears team to be a perennial playoff team, without question. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't disagree. Now, as you look at this hire and you look at Shane Waldron, and there are some people going, that means Justin's staying. There are others going, that means Justin's leaving. Let me just tell you this, and this is from Tom Pelissero mm-hmm. a while ago. Yeah. Potential number one overall pick Caleb Williams has already begun pre-draft training run by former NFL quarterback coach Rich Scangarello, whom he met years ago through the Quarterback Collective. And you can find them on Twitter at at QB Collective, mm-hmm. getting ready to hit the ground running as a pro. Okay, now, is there a tie? Yeah. Shane Waldron comes from the Quarterback Collective. The Quarterback Collective is a very powerful group that trains quarterbacks. And the number of people that have come from Quarterback Collective that are big-time coaches, well, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel. And the Bears are now picking someone from that crew. And at USC, very similar style offense to what quarterback collective stresses. Does that mean they're drafting Caleb Williams? No, I think there's a lot of homework to still be done. But it certainly gives some thought that maybe Caleb Williams is the guy. Yeah, well, if Caleb Williams is the guy, then you are going to be able to try to mold and shape what should be a good quarterback in this league, hopefully great quarterback. And again, everything's just based on the college tape that we see. I'm a college football fan for our new listeners. Love college football, live for Saturdays. And I saw plenty of USC and Caleb Williams. And from a college level, no, no question, big arm, leadership, can run with the football, all those things. When we hear experts that break down the tape and know even more 
about Caleb Williams. They say this is a can't miss, that the Bears have to be able to get Caleb Williams. All I'm saying is is that Caleb Williams, uh, Justin Fields, Tyson Bajan, I don't care who's back there. I just want the Bears to be able to get the right guy and move this offense along. Before Shane Waldron got to Seattle, York, so a 2013 through 2020, Geno Smith with the Jets, a year with the Giants, a year with the Chargers, and a year in Seattle, where he was an on and off starter, started a lot early in his career, then not didn't play much after that. Okay, so that's uh, how many years is that? Was that eight seasons? Sounds like it. I'm sorry, seven seasons. Seven, seven yeah. seasons. Twenty nine touchdowns in seven seasons. Right. Twenty thirteen through twenty twenty. Right. Twenty nine touchdown passes in seven seasons. In the three years he's been in Seattle with Waldron, he wasn't a full time starter until last year. He's done most of this work in these last two seasons. Fifty five touchdowns. 55 touchdowns in three years compared to 29 in the previous seven. So they up they they untapped or they tapped into, they tapped into something. something. Yeah. Now it also that something could be Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, pretty good. I mean, there's not a quarterback in the league that wouldn't like that wide receiver duo, right? I mean, it's pretty good. That's obviously got something to do with it. I understand, but he did bring the best out of Geno. What does this mean for the Bears? I don't know that they went out and found this guy because player x is going to be our quarterback i think they wanted to find the best guy that had some experience that's from that shanny mcveigh tree and that's what they struck here with shane waldron i i I feel like they believe they've got the best of the bunch right that's what they believe this guy likes to throw the ball more than he likes to run the ball on a team that's been pretty much 50 50 if not run the ball more than they pass the ball now that doesn't mean the bears didn't drop back and those turned into runs Mm -hmm. by justin fields but if you look in the offense there, Geno Smith has run the ball, I believe, 30-plus times in each of the last two years. So they still have a little bit of a running quarterback in that situation also. Yeah. But they do like to they like to pass the ball. They were at 60-40 this year in Seattle. Pass to run. Yes, yeah. pass to run. And the Bears were closer to 50-50. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, if you think you're going to get off the bus running – like the, the way, you know, Coach Ditka and the NFL and the Chicago Bear fans like to do it. Um, this guy likes to throw the ball a little bit more. It's like, this guy likes to go to the air. Just so you know that. Maybe depending upon who the quarterback is and what the talent is, he'll have to adjust his philosophies with the Chicago Bears and with his personnel. And any good offensive coordinator would understand what his personnel are and would adjust his theories to his personnel. This was Brock Heward last week during his conversation with Waddle and Sylvie. He knows that situation pretty closely, obviously, out in Seattle. This is uh, Heward talking to the guys about pairing Shane Waldron potentially with Justin Fields. That I have a hard time saying yes to just from the two, three years we had in Seattle. You know, they just couldn't run the ball. Right. And I don't think that that was a a Geno Smith issue or a horrible offensive line. It's just, I think he comes a little bit, which is surprising because the tree that he comes from should be a run play action team. Mm -hmm. And the head coach that he was playing for, basically, who'd never called anybody out, basically with us, you know, near the end is like, we're just not doing it. And I'm like, well, why aren't you doing it? Call the freaking run plays, like run the ball. You know, your rushes per uh, attempt are pretty good. Your overall net yards are one of the worst in the league or bottom five in the league. So I would like to say because of the background and the tree that he comes from, that would be central. But I don't think it'd be anything like the right. dude that used to be with the Buffalo Bills and Jim Harbaugh in there and built a bully in San Francisco. And if that guy is available to me, that would make a ton of sense. It is ironic. Like I told you last hour, the tree he comes from, the tree from which he comes that he is that heavy on that split, that pass to run. Because, again, McVay and Shanny, these guys want to run. Uh, LaFleur, 
They want to run yeah. the ball. They use it to set up a lot of other things in their offense. They're, they they don't line up an eye formation in just they, two they yards in a cloud it, of dust. They but. use it to find the void between the backers and the safety. Yes. So if you notice, usually the backers' first steps are forward, and the safety's first steps are backwards. Same thing with your corners. Usually they're going backwards. And so if you can extend the period of time the backers are coming forward, give more time for the disparity, then put the linebackers in a position where they're turning and running. They can't see the ball. They don't know where it's at. That creates uh, a positive atmosphere for great passing game. This is why Yurko could be a coach in any era, because I think you nailed that. Like, that's the principal philosophy. Again, this isn't... That's where those deep ends come to play, where Purdy and and Garoppolo used to be able to exploit the middle. Yes. This isn't like eye formation, heavy personnel every time. We're like, again, three yards in a cloud of dust. We're not talking about that type of running the football. That's not what those guys do, but they run the ball a lot. Dan, what stood out to you from those two shows? <clears throat> well, I guess I didn't realize realize that disparity under his play calling the 60-40. And I know that we run the ball a lot the last two years as an organization, but I think part of that's because if you add Justin's uh, rush attempts to it, I don't know that they're calling that many run calls, except in the Green Bay game when there's like... <laughs> seven straight in the second half when we should be passing, but that's another story. For the most part, I think that those numbers are skewed a little bit by Justin's running ability. It's not like, you know, we run in a shotgun seemingly, you know, 90% of every time the Bears had the ball, it was always in shotgun, in my opinion. It's not like we, we were running the I formation either. Right. But again, there's no... I guess my reaction is there's no one ever saying that, you know, like... If one co-host says that, the other person's not going to be like, well, actually, if you think about it, they they were passing a whole lot. They just had, Fields ended up running for his life on some of those plays. You know, it started out as a passing play, though, but I, I feel like they never question each other, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I found it fascinating that he uh, passes more than runs, particularly you know, Pete Carroll is a very conservative coach when it comes to offensive play calling, and he wants Except in that Super Bowl that they lost when he should have run Oh, my gosh. What a great irony that is. You know, a guy that loves to run the ball calls a pass play. When he should run it, and it's guaranteed he wins the Super Bowl if he does. With Marshawn Lynch. And his prime. Yes. Oh, my God. So it is uh, interesting, and I've heard that there was some turmoil between Carroll and Waldron because of that. So to be be honest with you, this is really a head-scratching thing. I don't know if Shane Waldron is good or bad or it was, you know, the problems in Seattle, the personnel, I don't fucking know. And, and nobody really knows, right? So it's just good. We're just going to have to see game one of the 2024 season. How has this offense changed? And are they going to be more of a passing offense? And what the fuck are they going to be running? I have no fucking clue. Well, None. we know now if for some reason he's just dismal, mm-hmm. like wor- as, on the same par as Getsy or worse, it's going to cost everybody their jobs. Mm-hmm. Except Kevin Warren, you think polls would be involved too? Oh, absolutely. Polls would be uh, first out the door. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. Over at the score, um, they had on 
this will be the second clip. They had on a radio broadcaster whose name is Softy Mahler. And he's Bill Maher was on the show. <laughs> That's what I thought too. <laughs> he said Bill Maher's got a brother. Uh and uh Softy just I mean he talks in circles, but basically he's got nothing but negative stuff to say about Shane Waldron. So you hear that, and then the third clip, you'll hear Molly and Hall responding to that criticism. The first clip, Jesus, I forgot what the first clip is. It's it's Parkins and and uh and Spiegel, but I forgot what they're talking about. I hope you don't have any of Bernstein. There, you know what? Maybe that yeah, uh, Bernstein is his show is on here, but I don't think he says anything. God, he'll be like some false outrage, you know, putting do himself you, on a cross, you know. Do you do a good Dan Bernstein impersonation? No, no. <laughs> I, I probably should just listen to him a little bit and just start being really whiny. <laughs> I got I, I You know, I, I'll just, whatever, fuck it. I just think that guy is like so self-righteous. By the way, off topic before you start it. Sure. Uh, Happy 47th birthday. Not today. Oh, I will mention today is the 66th birthday for Linda Blair, if you want to feel old. 66 oh. years old. But wow. someone that just turned 47 last week, and we I failed to mention on air, former first-round pick for the Chicago Bears, 47 years old, number eight, left-handed from UCLA, Cade McNown, folks. Oh! <laughs> I'd love to get him on this show, man. Cade McNown is almost 50. How fucking old am I? You know? <laughs> if we had Cade on the show, would... What would be the tenor of your interview with him? Would you be saying, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? No, no, no. Uh, I would want to compare uh, the Cade that he remembers and the way he saw things in 99 and 2000 mm -hmm. with how he would do it again if if he were in that same situation. Because he's obviously grown up and he's very successful and wealthy in, in his post-football world and has a, a great career. So I would juxtapose his perceived immaturity with his perceived maturity now and how things mm -hmm. would, how it could have played differently. That would be a great place to start. I, and I, I, for some reason, I think I would just harp so much on that San Francisco game. <laughs> oh, that was his last start. But as I mentioned, uh, and we'll take some solace in this because, you know, Detroit's in the championship game and we're not, we're nowhere, but his last play with the bears his last, because Shane Matthews got hurt, he completed a pass that set up a 54-yard field goal for Paul Edinger to knock the Lions out of the playoffs on Christmas Eve of 2000. Wow. I, I, think, I think his pass was to Macy Brooks, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe it was that, Marty Booker. Did you know that Cade McDonald was on the prices, right? I did not know that. <laughs> we, we need more information on that. I'm going to be looking for that video. All right, here is uh, three clips from uh, the score, Sports Radio 670, 12 minutes long. Uh, we'll be talking on the other end. I like the hire. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't quell every concern that I would have about the, the Bears for this coming season, but he's, he's one of the hottest – offensive coordinator candidates that were out there. He's a, he's a quality commodity. He has called plays before, which is more than we can say for the last couple of offensive play callers the Bears have hired. So that to me is a big deal. Regardless of the decision that gets made at QB, just have someone who is actually organized the week 
of practice and preparation going into an NFL game who has actually taught and scripted. And that to me is the aspect of it is as much as Ryan Poles has talked about development and Matt Eberflus talks about development, the coordinator of that side of the ball, in this case, the offense is so responsible, not solely responsible, but so responsible for how the players on that side of the ball end up developing. So, you know, I, I think keeping coach Morgan to work with the O line Sure, that makes a lot of sense because if you got a good one, try to keep him in-house. I would imagine they had that conversation with Shane Waldron, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. That's That guy can coach. Let's do it. Um, so to have that, that, that sort of parallel and whatever continuity that might provide is a good thing within a very similar system to what they've already been doing. But, you know, in, in the end, he's experienced and has been successful with a variety of types of QBs. So I think the hire makes sense. I had a friend ask me this morning if I knew – what Matt Eberflus's offensive philosophy was. And I said to this person, no, I, I actually don't know what his offensive philosophy is. And it might be something that gets asked of him over the, the next couple of weeks. They, they make the, uh, the introductory hire. What do you think it is from what you've seen? And maybe it's nothing because the offensive coordinator that they had is gone. <laughs> so maybe it didn't jive with what, his actual offensive philosophy is it's what my impression of his philosophy is very similar to the teams who've sustained success most in the NFL I went through some numbers I was on with Gabe on Friday night and I spent some time after all my self-care during the day Friday I came back home and spent a couple hours just looking up who are the teams that have been most successful in the National Football League over the last quarter century like through some of the Bears QB draft picks since 99 and all the different franchises up till now and teams like Philadelphia and Seattle and, you know, San Francisco was kind of, you know, they've been successful, but like that first decade of the 2000s, San Francisco wasn't great, but they've especially now been able to sustain success through multiple head coaches and a variety of quarterbacks. And uh, I removed Indianapolis, Green Bay, Pittsburgh. I removed some of those teams from that conversation because I think those are the ones who you can most point to a Hall of Fame quarterback, or in Green Bay's case, multiple Hall of Fame quarterbacks have led to them sustaining success over the course of a couple of decades here. There's a bunch of squads who you point to running the football effectively and playing good defense, and then regardless of whether Carson Wentz is your QB and his great football only happens when he's there with you, or Nick Foles, the only good football he plays is there when he's with you in Philadelphia, but when you consistently play defense and you have an offensive approach that values running the football you don't have to have Patrick Mahomes to be able to be successful. When you get a Patrick Mahomes type or an Aaron Rodgers type, that's great. But in Green Bay the last couple of years when Aaron Rodgers was still there, his best football was sustained because they started to value running the football again in a way that they had stopped. So I believe that's what Matt Eberflus wants to be. That's what he mentions most frequently. He wants to run the football and find opportunities for the attack pass. And I would imagine that came up in their conversations with Shane Waldron. And in Seattle, they, they were able to do that. They were able to value running the football and find the attack pass to DK Metcalf. It was the Bears have requested permission to interview Shane Waldron, and Softy's like, why? Oh, man, raining on our parade, Softy. How the hell are you? Yeah. Well, I'm good. I, I just don't get it. I mean, if, you're, uh, if, uh, if Nagy's uh, out at the end of the year, and nobody wants to sit there and, uh, you know, go walk the plank with this guy for 17 weeks, then I get it. But if I'm equal parts Bears fan and equal parts Seahawks fan, and I know what I know about Shane Waldron, 
you know, there's there's nothing about this hire that excites me at all. I mean, I, was there anything about the Seahawks offense that you guys watched a year ago or the last two years where you said to yourself, wow, look at that scheme, look at that unbelievable innovative approach that Shane Waldron took? I mean, his offenses are kind of predictable. They're kind of boring. He doesn't have head coach written on him at all. I mean, he's got – there's about as much personality in this cell phone I'm on than there is in Shane Waldron. So – I don't know. I hate to tell you any differently. You want me to tell you the guy is uh, the next Andy Reid or the next Mike Holmgren? Great. I'll tell you that, but I'd be lying to you. No, I don't want you to lie to me, but I guess I'm a little confused in what you thought you were going to get in Geno Smith based on what yeah. you got yeah. in Geno yeah, Smith. I think, I think Geno Smith was really all about Pete Carroll uh, and the time he spent behind Russell Wilson. I think Geno Smith, if he was given the opportunity he was given two years ago, end of a system, I, I think he would have been just fine. I mean, I think after seven, eight years in the NFL as a veteran backup guy, you know what to do, you know what not to do. Look, you want to but, give Shane Waldron credit for what happened to Geno Smith, then that's fine. Go ahead. But I'm, I'm not giving Shane Waldron much credit at all for any of that. I'm giving the majority of that, if not all of it, to Pete Carroll for making him his backup quarterback for almost Russell Wilson's entire career in Seattle, sticking with him. You know, giving him the first shot at the job, not going out and getting anybody who was going to really, you know, supplant him as a starting quarterback. I mean, let's face it, when they went out and got Drew Locke, there was much competition for the starting quarterback job. If you go back to last July, last August, before the 2022 season, uh, you know, everybody kind of knew ahead of time that Geno was going to be the guy, and that's the way it worked out. So I'm not really giving Shane Waldron much credit for that, man. But I guess I don't. No, so he sat behind Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, right. not ex- not known as some sort of offensive innovator. If anything, the reputation is that right. he's pretty that he's pretty conservative. And then right. Geno Smith, after sitting as a backup for eight years in the NFL, completes seventy percent of his passes, throws for forty three hundred yeah. yards, thirty touchdowns, and eleven interceptions. Yeah, yeah. I, th- that, has, that has nothing to do with the play caller. No, no, not really. No. Okay. I mean, dude, guys, I'm telling you, I, I watched every single play of that season, all right? Yeah. I watched every single play of Geno Smith's career as a starting quarterback in Seattle. There was nothing about Shane Waldron's offense or Shane Waldron's approach that I ever looked at anybody and said, wow, can you believe what we just saw? Again, you want to give Shane Waldron credit for having Geno Smith back and saying the right things to him off the field and connecting with him? and putting him in the right position to take advantage of his strengths and his weaknesses. I can roll with you on that. But again, I just saw Shane Waldron guys for three years in Seattle. When this guy was hired, he was like a, he was a, he was a Sean McVay protege. Okay. Yep. When he came to Seattle, we all thought that we were getting this unbelievable, innovative Sean McVay, LA Rams offense. And it was going to take Pete Carroll from the stone ages to the, to the, to the, to the future. And none of that really ever happened. Now, there are some reasons for that. The offensive line has been banged up, you know, this entire year in Seattle. Not getting DK Metcalf the football as much as people wanted to. Finally was able to get Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was the 20th pick in the first round, incorporated into the offense late in the year. Uh, the running game was banged up. Kenny Walker, K-9, really is the key and the heart and soul of the Seahawks offense. And when he's not healthy, they just don't go like they usually do when he's in there. So there are some reasons for that. And, you know, look, you're also talking to a guy who had multiple conversations with Shane Waldron, you know, on the air, in person, at the Seahawks training facility. 
And what I want out of my offensive coordinator is I want a guy that I can see as the future head coach. And there's nothing about Shane Waldron to me at all that screams future head coach. I mean, dude, why? You, you, is it just he's, 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 he's no boring? Okay. He's boring. He's got no personality. He's kind of a he's kind of milk toast, right? I mean, I don't I don't look at Shane Waldron and see a future leader of men. Now that could obviously potentially change down the road. There's no question about that. He could come out of his shell at some point in time. But every conversation I've had with Shane and guys, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the guy's a jerk at all. He, he's fine. Right. He's a nice enough guy. He was, he was fine to me. I got no beef with the guy, but if you're looking for a future head coach, you're looking for somebody who commands a room and that is not Shane Waldron whatsoever. It's Shane Waldron. <laughs> I got no beef with Shane Waldron, but he can't coach. Yeah. He can't command a room. And boy, is he boring. Not a leader of men. Not a leader of men. Oops. Goodness sakes. Yeah. I go back to, though, if you ask any, if you ask anybody in the media to evaluate the offensive coordinator they have critiqued for the past three seasons. Yeah. In a football town. What would you be saying about, uh, what would David not so softly <laughs> haw be saying about. Uh, call me Dave. You uh, can call me, about, Dave. call me Dave. You can call me Dave. Um, uh, yeah. About Luke Getze? Yeah. yeah, I would say, right. well, short yardage is going to disappoint you. At the press conference, he's going to implicate players and bus toss his quarterback. <laughs> and he's always going to get guys who probably are have to fit into his scheme more than the scheme around his guys. But other than that, i got nothing against him. Oh, my God. That's That's he's boring. He's got no personality. He's kind, of a, he's kind of milk toast. Hmm. <sighs> The the Seahawks benefited from Shane Waldron being there. Eh, milk toast. <laughs> he might be milk toast. Geno Smith revived his career with Shane Waldron's help. Russell Wilson wanted Shane Waldron to be hired. That's how he ended up in Seattle back in 2021. Hmm. Drew Locke. Dan Wiederer watched the Drew Locke uh, game this past season when he was pressed into action and reported that there was a lot of there's a lot to like about the Seahawk offense I don't know it I I just think it's amusing how we hear from softy Mahler who has nothing against Shane Waldron but he's not a leader of men he's boring he's got no personality he's kind of a he's kind of milk toast their take in Seattle seems to be that if Shane Waldron were that good of an offensive coordinator he'd be in the mix for our head coaching jobs right now Mm mm-hmm and he's not. Okay. All I know is this. He may not be the second coming of Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, but there were other teams that wanted to hire him. Mm-hmm. The Saints were rumored. The Raiders reported. The Steelers yeah. interested. Yeah. There, one of the reasons they opted to hire him is that he started to get a lot of action, and rather than go with a second round of interviews, they felt – that he was the guy they talked to that they could hire and they didn't want to go through secondary interviews and lose the guy. I think. I mean, that's my yeah, take on it, I, given the fact that he was about to interview that's explained too. all these other uh, teams. So it's kind of good. They were um, 17th in scoring last year. That's middle of the pack. That'd be an upgrade for the Bears, I think. Man, I know. I know that you hate Softy. I kept thinking, 
Did this? Did Shane Waldron fuck this guy's girlfriend? <laughs> did they both buy for the same girl in high school? And the other one guy took her to the prom, and the other guy had no date. Like this guy, he's like, I don't have a problem with him, but you can see my transparent malice. It's funny that Molly and Hall were joking about that too. Like being sarcastic, they didn't come out and say that this guy's got a beef with him, but it sure fucking felt like he did. I mean, no shit. I mean, he sounded jealous, envious, or that he had a couple of interviews with him and maybe Shane was tired or maybe Shane thinks he's a dick or whatever. And those interviews didn't go well. And so he's carrying a grudge against Shane Waldron and the things that he said about the offense being boring. That's fucking bullshit. And that he had nothing to do with Geno Smith's exceptionalism the last two, three years. That's fucking bullshit. Shane Waldron did. And maybe some of that stuff is true. I actually went and looked at a press, conf press conference from uh, Shane Waldron to see if he was milk toast, as one of the people in the chat put it, if he's boring and stuff. No, the guy has more charm in him than fucking uh, the last guy we had here, Luke Getze. It, 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 you know, I, I'm not. Totally convinced, of course, that Shane Waldron is going to be a great OC, but I found Softy to be a really, really bad interview, and he's probably a terrible uh, sports broadcaster. I would have thought that the if someone was going to make a bold declaration such as, this man had nothing to do with Geno Smith's resurgence, mm -hmm. well, can you give me an example of why or how that's true? Right. There, yeah. there had to be a follow-up to like, okay, I'm not saying that your opinion is invalid, but tell me why you developed this opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if it's not because you just basically don't like this guy, you got to give me some concrete example, some specificity. And like, he again, he just wasn't even challenged. Not that you do it disrespectfully, but man, mm -hmm. they just let him just keep saying it without any evidence or... Something to point to that that really baffled me in that aspect. I I would surmise that this guy's probably dead in bed too, <laughs> <laughs> which is why they call him softy. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> um, Hairbrush says, I don't know, but that was the best shit I heard all day. So thanks, Aldo. The guy was obnoxious, but that was funny as fuck. And I agree with you, Hairbrush. If there's one thing that softy uh, uh, did there, is he created controversy he you know i shared it so it, it, it wasn't bad radio so dan you're in the radio business you're a, a professional on the air in, in terrestrial radio what do you say about this tendency that we have now i'm more so it's always existed but more so than in the past probably because there's more media outlets now but this tendency to go big and bold, like Stephen A. Smith and Softy, and you know all these rants that they throw that they can send out on social media and have sixty-second cl uh, uh, clip baits and, and draw up advertising dollars. What do you think about that? Everyone's playing a wrestling bad guy. Mm. The equivalent of nineteen. 92 going into an arena and saying whatever to get people to boo you that's sort of you know mike north has been accused of that at times like when oh, he, yeah. 
when he was supporting Cody Parkey, for example, after the the double doink. And I have no disrespect toward Mike at all. I think you know that. But I mean, sometimes people say things not to get attention, but like we were saying, people were suggesting that Yurko was supporting Eberflus just to play that sort of bad guy or just a differing position to get attention with it. But I never heard of softy, softy, whatever the fuck before this. So maybe that's a way of advancing his platform. Cause like you said, people are going to retweet this. They're going to be, ah, maybe this Shane Waldron isn't a good hire. Listen to what soft dick says here, you know? So maybe that's a way of advancing his position somehow, like to get attention. It's a great, great point. And you know, it's worked for people like Stephen A. Smith. It worked for a while with Jay Mariotti, famously, infamously here, a Chicago sports columnist. Rosenblum. Yeah, Steve Rosenblum. I know somebody who you dislike intensely. <laughs> so well, I just hated his writing, man. It just felt like he said shit just to oh, like, yes, purposely again playing the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, there's a longtime Chicago sports writer. I don't, I'm not sure if he's still alive or just not working in town anymore. Bernie Lincecum. Uh, and he, for the first 10 years he was here in Chicago, everything was a negative thing. And then he went away, wrote for another city for a few years, and then came back some five, six years ago. And uh, David Hall sent out a tweet saying, I'm so glad Bernie is here and so, so forth. It's a great voice for Chicago sports. And I said, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to read him. I dislike him. He's too negative. And of course, the first column that he sent out, I read it uh, just to see, and it, it all negative, all negative. And, and he's just – He's Dan Weeder. <laughs> right. If you can't find something positive, if you're going to write the, some 200 columns for your newspaper a year and there's not one fucking column that says a positive thing about an organization, then you got a vendetta or you got a shtick or you got something going on. Now, I will say this about Bernie Lincecum. The motherfucker could write. He wrote beautifully, you know, stuff that just jumped off the page. He was so eloquent with words. But uh, in terms of the content, fuck him and fuck everyone else who is trying to clickbait me into reading. You know, I, I get the whole Howard Stern thing. You know, people stay tuned because they're going to, he's going to, they can't wait to hear what other controversial thing he'll say. But uh, it, it really gets tiring, man. I'm in a place right now where I want positivity. I want the only negative person in the world to be me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say me there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you and I. Yeah. We're the only, only two guys. So I'm listening to all this, you know, this shorty talk about, um, the offense being unpredictable and not creative and so forth. So I wanted to see if I could find somebody who had a different take on it. So I found this guy called the Guru's Film Room. I reached out to him to see if he wanted to come on and and talk about Shane Waldron's, but uh, he didn't respond, at least not yet. Hopefully we can get him on for our next show. But here's a two-minute clip of him explaining a play, one particular play on Shane Waldron's uh, offensive scheme. And uh, Guru, I thought, 
at the very least, he was very entertaining in the way he talked about this specific play and Shane Waldron's creativity. This formation right now against the Detroit Lions was fucking unbelievable, dog. So they didn't line up in, and I don't even know what this formation is, dude. You have the um, the single back right here, and then to the right of um, Geno Smith, you have two tight ends. So in this formation, and then you have two receivers tight splits, you know, you have DK Metcalf over here and Tyler Lockett. So this formation is so confusing you can look at the lions defensive players like they don't really know what the fuck is about to happen i never even seen a formation like this i don't even know what to call it is this the power eye is this the, the the t formation i don't even know what to call this formation man that's what shane waldron does man it's just straight confused the hell out of a defensive coordinator now look at this as we continue this play right here so the lions right now because they're so confused so they look like they're just playing single high right now with this safety being the single high safety so look at this and then all of a sudden it's a play action right play action fake right now I pull all the linebackers because you see this b formation right here man basically you see all this beef too tied in so the linebackers gonna take a step up so as soon as they take a step up now look at the high low combination he designed man look at the high low combination to put the defenders in in compromised situation right now so you got tyler lockett running this um, um high formation right here right so now he's occupied this defender right here right so now look at um the second tight end right now right here um parkinson he runs the mid combination right here and then and this is the low combination right here by the other tight end right here who was a uh, who will deasley i mean this is just a beautiful beautiful play call right here beautiful design beautiful execution and then geno smith rolled out and then boom the high low concept this guy had to get the cheese and wide open is um cody parkinson for a big time play man i mean shane waldron is just a mad uh, magician when it comes to play design man I fucking love Guru. He's got the soft jazz playing in the background. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck to call this play. I love Guru. Gotta have him on the show. What'd you think it, of that? How he broke that down? Well, it made me, I kept thinking about something that the softy said that again, I just was, I, I kept going back to that. He, he said something to the effect of, yeah, Gino's been in the league as a backup seven, eight years and he knows what to do. It all comes to him and the, or something like that, implying that everything that Gino did was somehow like a product of his experiences of being a backup. And that's su such a bullshit argument because so many people, if they've been in the, the league that long on the bench, they don't get another opportunity. Right, right. Especially another opportunity to get paid. Mm -hmm. I mean, he got a chance to be the starter again. I mean, usually if you're like, chase daniel or somebody that's been in the league seven eight years and you haven't played then you're just the guy that starts two games and that's it so for him to just come out and be like ah oh, you know he, he learned on the bench and acted like that was a fact like come on man you got to give this guy some credit and i did like that the vid when your video where you're playing there when he was pointing out because i thought all right the back okay that's a pistol quarterback and the, the back's behind him, so it's not a shotgun. It's a pistol, but like you said, there's two tight ends. I'm like, what What formation is this? I don't know it either. So. It was brilliant. I loved it. I could see yeah. Matt, and hopefully we get a really good and Hopefully Tanya, the Packers spy, goes back to Green Bay. Yeah, really. But, you know, a lot of people love this kid out of Georgia, Brock Bowers. How about if it's Cole Komet and Brock Bowers, who's basically a tall, 
thicker wide receiver. The guy is going to be have a great NFL career. He's going to be like Kittle or uh, maybe even Kelsey. Uh, and so wouldn't that be fucking awesome, having that fucking formation and that being the base? And you can run out of it. You can pass out of it. You can do all sorts of great shit out of it. Yeah, I'm, t- t- when I saw Guru's uh, breakdown there, I was like, yeah. Fuck Softy and I'm all in Guru's camp. And somebody said that we should have uh, uh, Swifty on because he's broken down some tape on Shane Waldron. We'll try to do that. You uh, know, good stuff. the the ba- most basic thing about Justin Fields with this, it, you know, like the guy was saying earlier, all these negative things that Fields does or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if, if you, even if you think he completely sucks, it's kind of undeniable if he had more time. Yes. It does, even if you're not, even if you're a below average quarterback, if you have a a really good offensive line, it's going to make up, it's going to cover up a lot of blemishes. So even if it's Caleb Williams, man, we've got to fix this offensive line. Mm-hmm. I was just again thinking about that play with the tight ends there, but if the Bears try to run that, like you know, goddamn Cody Whitehead would let his guy run straight through him. Lucas Patrick would let his guy run straight through him, and and then there'd be holding from uh, Braxton Jones. I mean, it's just like fuck, man. We, we not all this is a moot point on either quarterback unless we rebuild this offensive line, and that's what Ryan Poles is supposed to be—some offensive line guru, a man that played the position. Well, between drafting and some money, they got to write some checks here. They got to fix this line this offseason. Yep. Totally, totally agree. It starts there. And uh, I don't think they're, you know, I don't think they're far away from having above average offensive and defensive lines. Part of it has to do with Tevin Jenkins' health. Um, and then playing the worst game of his career, and he admitted against Green Bay. Mm hmm. So, I mean, you got to, at some point, can we get a line that just has the best game of their career? We never have that. Never. It's like they're either average or they're awful. Yeah, I hear you. Swift's the same that I put him on blast. I don't recall saying anything negative about Swift. It was uh, that Judah guy. Yeah, you were just doing a comparison. Like, you didn't say you agreed with it. Right. Anyways, if I said so, I guess he mis- misinterpreted you because I, I can come to your defense and say that you were just using him as an example of someone that doesn't hate Justin Fields versus someone that does. Yeah, no, Swift, uh, he's joking about, uh, oops, there it is. I was joking about you putting me my comment on the screen. Oh, oh okay. I see. uh, yeah, at the beginning of the show, I was talking about, I, I, I saw this, this Judah podcast and he had the title where he was dissing you, and I tuned in to hear what he's saying. That guy's an unpleasant fella. Uh, I actually think that I blocked him because he was saying some unpleasant things. I don't, you know, you can disagree all you want if you want Caleb and so forth. But when you disagree and you're calling somebody names, that's that's fucking, you know, that's high school shit. That's kid stuff. That's immature shit. Shit, get the fuck out of here with it. Well, why are we even like to that point? Not us specifically, but as Bears fans, mm-hmm. if we're on the same team here, like, come on, like, why are we? going after each other i mean i'm not trying to be sappy yeah but if we all like the same team like i get it like if don comes in and he's a dick to us or whatever at least he likes detroit but Mm -hmm. if we're all bears fans what the fuck are we really being this personal about we like the same team exactly you know 
Many of us, and, I, and I've gone through this stuff too, you know, or I'm right, I'm right. Everybody, you know, really believes that they're right when they have an opinion on something and you start to defend it. And, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you defend your point of view to the point where it's like, all right, dude, please, <laughs> I've heard enough. <laughs> I don't want to hear it anymore. And I think we're, we're quickly approaching that, that uh, stage. I hope that, you know, if they are going to trade uh, uh, Justin Fields, I hope it happens in March, like last year when they made the trade of the out of the number one spot. I hope it happens early so that you know at least that whole Fields versus Caleb debate is behind us because I think it's just going to get uglier and uglier. It's stressful. Mm -hmm. You have to worry about being, like you said, personally. Uh, I don't want to say attacked because that's dramatic, but when it becomes malicious yeah. just because you like the player or you don't. I mean, that's, well, just look yeah. at this Stephen me shit. Like suddenly I like his target. I don't want to even want to give him any more credit, but I always, I had no problem with him. He and I had talked like about his experiences, the bears coming overseas. I think it was like the Dublin in 96 or whatever right. he was there. Right. Like yeah. I had no problem with him. And then suddenly because I like fields, like he's pissed off at me. Like, and I just, I didn't see that feud coming it just sort of came out of nowhere i mean it was like i'd like to have him on the show and try to mediate and get you guys back into buddies what was that that what was that guy's name uh jeremy lynn who just came out of nowhere they're like lynn sanity just yeah. literally out of nowhere with the knicks yes. Yes. that's the way this feud with steve and me just suddenly <laughs> it was fucking here and i had no say in it ah uh, that's funny lynn sanity <laughs> It lasted 29 days, Lynn Sanity. <laughs> yeah, they made documentaries about it because it, it was so wild. And uh, the guy fizzled out as quickly as he fizzled in. Yeah, exactly. Just out of nowhere. Where did this come from? I don't know. Mel Kuyper relieved his first mock draft. Let's take a look. Why do you have the Bears moving on from fields and taking Caleb? Caleb was a special quarterback, and I think when you look at back at 2022 when he had that phenomenal year, Greeny, this year he actually completed a higher percentage of those passes in a so-called down year from the Arizona game on. Everybody remembers the Notre Dame game, but at 68%, he doesn't throw interceptions. Over the last two years, guys, he's been responsible for rushing and passing 93 touchdowns, 10 picks. You think about resetting the clock. Mike Tannenbaum talks a lot about that every time, right? If it's even, you take Caleb. Unless Justin Fields is significantly better in your mind right now where he is than rolling the dice on Caleb, people say it's an unknown on Caleb. Well, it's an unknown on Justin whether he can be a franchise quarterback. So I would trade Justin Fields, try to recoup that second-round pick. You lost with the Montez Sweat trade, which was a great trade. Montez Sweat's a heck of a player. And maybe get a, a fourth-round pick, two and a four, two and a three. Guys can talk about that. Bottom line is trading Justin Fields right now makes the most sense. Taking Caleb Williams has a chance to be I'm not going to say generational because I still said it with uh, Lawrence, and Lawrence hasn't gotten there yet, but he could be one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. That's what you're hoping for. That's why you take him number one overall. Thank can you, Mel, for making things worse. <laughs> can somebody tell me what it is? Again, I'm not a Caleb Williams hater. I don't watch UFC or UFC, USC football to know. Can someone tell me what it is about Caleb that we can take to the bank? Why is he so much better than Justin? Why should I be so happy with getting Caleb and, and dumping Justin? He he does some fucking magical shit. In college. Yeah, right. Well, in college, know, when right. most, you know, 
Look at the guy from Carolina this year. How good was he at Alabama? Mm-hmm. What did he do? Like we could have easily drafted him and 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 traded Fields in the offseason last year, and then we'd been stuck with that little guy the Panthers have. Oh, but he was great at Alabama. Yeah, but the stuff that he does well, like Scroll says, arm strength and accuracy, that translates translates to every fucking league. He does some incredible. I'm telling you, Dan. Sometimes he's just running away from the rush and he's backpedaling as fast as a human being could be, and then he rips the ball as he's backpedaling, and that ball goes 30 yards in the air on a rope right there on the receiver's numbers. It's it, he, it's fucking incredible. Now, you have to remember, this is Pac-10 football, so it's not quite as bad as Adam Shaheen facing those little guys in Division II uh, <laughs> and, and base, selecting him in the second round. It's not quite that bad. But there's, you know, the, the level of competition in the Pac-10 is not like the Big Ten and not like, uh, you know, some of the other things. But nonetheless, if you – and I know, Dan, you know a lot about football, just accumulation of knowledge from what you've seen and heard and read about and so forth. When you see – just the highlight reel, because I can't say I've seen the, the All-22 and break shit down. I, I, I'm not that guy. But just the highlight reel, the stuff that he does tremendously is pretty fucking impressive. Now, Justin has done the same shit too, right? He's done right. some imp- Wow, fucking Justin. That's why I want him. But I can understand the love for Caleb Williams. He's, he's a, he does appear like he could be a very, very special player. Didn't I- they say the same thing about Mark Sanchez and... What no. was the what was the lefty's name that played with Reggie Bush? Oh, lefty. He was in the game that where the Bears, the Erlacher, the big comeback against Dennis Green in Arizona. Oh, Matt Leinert. Matt Leinert. Oh yeah, also from USC. Yes. Yeah, wasn't he supposed to be can't miss too? I mean, no, I don't think so. I, not like this guy. Not quite like this guy. The, now there are questions about Caleb. There are questions of is he really a team leader? Would he come to the Chicago Bears and be as beloved as Justin Fields are? There are some people who say no. There's there's concerns about his behavior and how he treats other people because he's entitled. He's had so much success. He's had so many roses thrown at his feet. There are concerns about you know his height and being able to see over the line of scrimmages. So you're going to have to improvise on a lot of stuff. And if you want to have an offense that's on timing and so forth, you're basically going to have the same problems you have with Justin Fields. There are other issues regarding Caleb. But the athleticism and the accuracy, there's no denying he's he's special. There, there's no denying that. But uh, what's up here? He could be a – I was going to say a retard. Ah, I said it. He could be a retard. <laughs> it's interesting that the the stuff about maybe not being a good teammate and all those things is stuff that was thrown at Cutler. And uh, I saw a clip of Cutler advocating for us to keep Justin. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm just saying it's interesting that comparison between, well, maybe he doesn't make the, he's not popular in the locker rooms. It's the same things we said about Jay. And ironically, Jay thinks the best move is to keep uh, Justin Fields. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprised. Did he say that in his podcast? I'd love to find that clip and listen to it. No, it was on like Inside the NFL or something. Oh, okay. He's on that CW show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw a clip of it on X. I mean, I didn't watch the show. Mm-hmm. Well, over the coming weeks, Dan and I will have some people who have studied uh, Caleb and we'll talk about him and we'll get more into this. But for for now, 
we all just have to remind ourselves we're in a great fucking situation. And if we're going to complain about anything, maybe we should complain about Ryan Post. Can we trust him to make the right decision? He's made some bad decisions. He's made some good ones. That Montez Sweat trade is fucking phenomenal. But he's also made some other bad trades. Chase Claypool. So is this a 50-50 general manager? Nobody's 100% general manager with all the transactions they do. But I'm hoping that Poles is more in that 75 to 80%, particularly now in this stage of his career, because this is do or die for the Chicago Bears. This really is the most important draft in Chicago Bears history and the most important offseason. If Poles fails and does the wrong thing, which will only be proven in 2024 season, if he fails, then we're talking, Dan, about not seeing a playoff team uh, from the Chicago Bears in, in, for at least another three years. Do you think that this is one of those, maybe it's unfair to say that about polls in the sense that, I mean, we, we won't know the answer to this, but just conjecture. Do you think that maybe everybody's in on this? I mean, is Warren in on this decision too? Hell, uh, are the McCaskies just listening? Like, give me your pitch, like, because... We know that George likes Justin Fields. Right. So is every like, maybe George is saying like, all right, if we're going to get rid of this guy, you tell me why. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe every, maybe it's a collaborative effort. You know, they love that word collaboration when Matt Nagy was here. I truly believe that it's going to be Pose's decision, but he has to explain it to Warren and McCaskey, and they will challenge him. They will say, well, well, well what makes you believe that? Where's the evidence of that? What what makes you you know they're going to challenge them as they should. That's their role. Uh, and if if polls can't answer some of those questions to their satisfaction, then they sh should rightly, you know, say come back and give this some more thought and, and and tell us what you think after some more thought. But right now, you haven't said anything to convince me that we should a either keep Justin or. Or, or, or B, draft Caleb. That's the way I, an organization should work. I have a question to the, the I'm not going to say haters, but the people that are absolutely opposed to Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. His strongest supporters seem to be the players. Is that mm -hmm. is that a fair assessment? I would say. His yeah. teammates? Yeah. Wouldn't the teammates know if the guy could play or not? Wouldn't the teammates be able to look at you know, someone like Cade McNown, we know not to pick on Cade, but they're like, oh, this guy doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. Or Mitchell Trubisky or mm -hmm. somebody where the teammates are just, they just know. Right. They fucking know this guy doesn't have it or whatever, but he's been put in this position. And for years, maybe even Cutler, they thought, well, this guy just doesn't have the leadership. And so with all that said, with everyone coming to his defense and they see him every day when the cameras aren't on. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be something that would give you pause to think if his teammates are like, no, this dude's going to be really good. We respect the hell out of this guy. We want this guy. Doesn't that mean something? I know everyone's not a voice of authority, but how many Bears players have we had where the team just loved the guy? Same thing with McMahon. His offensive, uh, his offensive line loved him. Oh, when he yeah. when he's down there, they'll fight for this motherfucker. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and that's the guy we won the Super Bowl with. Yeah. So I'm not saying you have it's a popularity contest because for every person that is beloved, I'm sure there's somebody like Tom Brady, for instance, that's aloof with some players that, especially when he got older, mm -hmm. you know. And he, the, you were born when I was a rookie. You know, I don't give a shit what you think about me. But 
for the most part, I, I think that if his teammates are the ones giving that stamp of advocacy for him, that's got to give me pause if I'm thinking I know more than his teammates. Yeah, which is interesting. Scroll says, I wouldn't expect his teammates to do anything but vouch for him. Well, they could have kept their mouth shut. There's ways to talking around stuff like that that I have heard in my many years listening to players talk about certain teammates. But I, I do think that the two interviews, and uh, DJ Moore and, and Jalen Johnson, the way they talked about Justin really gave me hope that if the Bears keep him, this is going to work out. DJ saying, I don't, I haven't seen anybody, you know, yet who who I think would be better than him. And this is coming from a guy who played at Carolina and had four different quarterbacks during his time there, including Cam Newton. And he had his best season as a pro with Justin throwing to him with an offensive line that was off injured, with no other complimentary wide receiver that was good with a uh with a a running game that, hey, it was good. There's no doubt about it, but it was good primarily because of Justin Fields. And so we have to remember that when we're kicking Justin Fields out the door, that's going to impact your running game too. And so then the other one was Jalen Johnson. Jalen basically saying you have to – the coaches have accountability in this too. I believe in Justin. I go up against him every day in practice, and he, 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 when he plays and he throws the ball, I say to myself, I believe in this guy. That Those are two great endorsements. So you're absolutely right, Dan. Dan now, think about this. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, please. If you remember Mike Glennon's last start, yep, it was against I the remember. Packers. I think it was a Thursday night game, and it was a rain delay, and – he had this terrible play where the, the snap hit him in like the knee and Green Bay recovered deep in her own territory. Mm-hmm. And that was week four, I believe, of 2017. And after the game, Akeem Hicks was like, I just can't take it anymore. This guy can't start. This guy, you have to put Trubisky in there. This guy cannot play quarterback for us. And again, Akeem Hicks was sort of just coming into his own as a bear at that point. But four weeks in, you got a guy saying, this guy's a bum. He can't do it. We can't win with this guy. And yeah, so if Justin was as bad as everyone thinks he is, there would be somebody like Akeem Hicks, mm-hmm. you know, that says, ah, oh, man, they've got to move on from this guy. But what what Bears player has said that? Yeah, I, and nobody publicly, at least. Um, what they have said, uh, according to reports, some, you know, whispers that I've heard is they've overheard players on the sideline being critical of the coaching on the team, primarily the offensive coordinator. So, you know what? When I was told that about six, eight weeks ago, it's interesting. Who's gone now? The offensive coordinator. So, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe maybe those players, they all met with Ryan Poe's and I, I believe Kevin Warren was in on those interviews. They all shared their opinions about the team and the team moving forward. I doubt there were many people in there that said, Luke Getze is great. Man. I hope you bring him back. You know, maybe, you know, nice guys who would never say anything negative about anybody. They probably said the same positive stuff about every other player on the roster, about the, the team organization, about the, the fucking – lousy meals at Hallis Hall because they just don't want to lose their job and they're afraid of, of being sincere. Every organization has people like that. 
But well, I, I'll, I I'll throw a question at you. Put sure. your corporate hat on here. Let's just go back to your McDonald's days. Okay. So your corporate McDonald's, as big as McDonald's as can possibly be, you're not fucking flipping the burgers here. <laughs> not, not that we're being condescending to anybody that is. I'm just saying, but like you're making important decisions okay. for a corporation that goes across the world. Okay. If there's a, a a person that's come to your attention that you may be moving on from or whatever, you're doing an internal investigation. Mm -hmm. And if the people he or she works with overwhelmingly are saying, no, no, he's vital to our position. He's vital to the success of what's happening here, do you take that into account? I take that into account. Absolutely. Take into, take take that into account. But at the same time, uh, if somebody uh, I've interviewed with a number of people for that other person's job that the employees are talking highly about, and if I get a gut feeling and the resume looks well and the re uh, references are all good, that this person could really take us to the next level, I would not hesitate to make that move because I'm being paid to make those decisions, the decisions that are the best for the organization. As much it would be heart-wrenching to lose somebody that I thought, you know, I had a lot of respect for and that other employees, I would not hesitate, you know, if I was completely convinced that that other new potential employee could be better, a.k.a. Caleb Williams, I, I, I wouldn't uh, hesitate. But right now, I feel... When I weigh things, I feel that Justin Fields in the Hall, H-A-U-L, Hall of Draft Picks and potential uh, uh, players already could be astronomical. And so now you've got a Marvin Harrison to play along with DJ Moore. You've got a uh, uh, two more offensive linemen to add depth and to fight for uh, for for. Uh, starting jobs. You've got an elite pass rusher to help the defensive backs get more interceptions to give Justin a half a field. That's what I'm weighing. I'm, this isn't Caleb against Justin. This is Caleb against a pot of gold. And Justin has shown me enough over the 2023 season, one where I was very critical of him, but he has shown me enough to tell me that he can progress, he can go from A to B to C if we give him the right resources, and that could be Shane Waldron and, and Marvin Harrison or Malik Neighbors or whatever. And chances but, are, if the team is trading with you, if you decide to make a trade mm -hmm. and keep Justin, you could have a really high pick again next year because you're going to get another. You're going to have two number one picks next year too if you make that trade. Mm -hmm. So let's say the Redskins or the commanders make the trade with you. You may have a top five pick with them next year. Absolutely. So then if Justin really does regress or just stay, you're like, okay, really four years now, come on. Mm -hmm. You may have another top five pick next year. Exactly. And Mo says that the hall could be 70% bust, but so could Caleb, as Dan's been saying. Throughout this show, we, there's no guarantee that Caleb is is the one. And uh, I have no animosity huh. toward Caleb because I don't know anything about Caleb. That's the thing. I don't watch college football, but I'm just yeah. saying everyone who's, who advocates for him acts like it's a slam dunk that he's going to win like multiple championships and be this, like, oh, my God, you passed on Caleb Williams. I mean, did we? Or did we pass on Deshaun Kaiser? Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I hate to play that game. Yeah, I, I've been told many times because I've, you know, I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan. I kind of spotted the talent in college, and I, I didn't advocate for the Bears to draft them that year. I wanted the, the safety, and I was wrong. Jamal Adams? But, Jamal Adams, thank you. But I did say if I'm going to draft one of these quarterbacks, I would draft Patrick Mahomes. I think he's the best quarterback coming out. Well, why? Because he does magical things. Oh, but he also has terrible footwork. He throws interceptions. He does magic. And and a good coach can coach that. Now, who knows? He could have come to Chicago and he could have been Mitch Trubisky, right? <laughs> or like he, I told you on a past show, he said he learned how to read defenses his first year between Alex Smith and Andy Reid while he was just sitting. So if he comes <laughs> to right. Matt Nagy in year one, I mean, Matt Nagy's not going to teach him anything. No. <laughs> He's like, we're going to draw up some really, you know, uh, some really special plays that you'd have on Madden, and we're going to fool a lot of people. That's yeah. like, that, we're going to show everybody how smart we are together. Yeah. I don't know why people aren't more people up in arms uh, regarding the, what we have learned that Matt Nagy gave Patrick Mahomes the plays that Andy Reid was going to go over with him the following day. He basically cheated. Right. <laughs> If I'm the fucking Chiefs, I would say, listen, motherfucker, you did that? Get the fuck out of my office. I, if I can't fucking trust you to do things fairly for all of the prospects, how can I trust you with anything else around here? Get the fuck out of here. You're not as good as you think you are anyway. That's what I would have told him. And if Andy retires, like some people are saying, there's like whispers from the back, you know, that maybe this is it for him. Ooh. I don't, I know you like Mahomes, but the Net, Matt Nagy led Mahomes, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. I, I don't I don't see them winning any championships with old bald fuck at, at coach. I just don't. Yep, I am with you, man. Hey, I uh, I want to save some time to talk True Detective. Have sure. you seen season two or I mean uh, episode four uh, two of season four? Yes, I have. All right, so let's table that. Let's save that for last. But I so I want to share with you something else first. I stumbled upon this, you know, and in, in the algorithms now is if you happen to see a video, click on a video of a girl with a hairy bush, they're going to oh. send you tons of, but this is not that thing. Okay. Oh, so relax. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is, uh, I, I watched a video of some slap fighting. Have you heard of this? What is it now? Slap fighting. It's, no. Instead of arm wrestling, it's you slap somebody in the fucking face as hard as you can. And so let me show you a highlight clip. And that's out cold. Uh, he's not coming back from this one. And Zuluzinho falls oh, 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 oh. to his uh, legs and the floor. It seems like the lights are out for uh, Zuluzinho. That's classic said. Open the fridge, he's out. Here we go. Man back. Oh my god. Here I go. We got What do you think, Dan? I'm glad I'm not involved. 
would you be a fan of watching it? No. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I don't even like the UFC, so. I know you don't. Uh, uh, you love boxing, but you I liked love- '90s boxing because I felt like I knew the yeah. fighters. I think that that's why boxing doesn't really. There was a story mm-hmm. from Evander Holyfield, or or even when Buster Douglas beat Tyson. It was like we knew his mom had just died, and he was overcoming this heartbreak. And like I don't know what the stories are of any of the fighters now. Not since the Klitschko brothers retired. I don't know. I don't know anybody's story. I know a little bit, like uh, Whitaker and uh, 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 Deontay Wilder. I know a few, but, yeah, I, I certainly don't follow it the way I did as a kid and as a teenager. Uh, Sugar Ray, Duran fights and stuff. I mean, I, I was so into that back then. But, unfortunately, prize fighting has been overtaken by MMA, UFC, and so forth. And as somebody, uh, Mo just says, uh, Mo, uh, Dana White is running He's running one of these slap fighting leagues. He's seen the money potential in it, so he's gotten into it because this has started out in Europe and and it's it's starting to quickly happen. So I show my wife this, and she goes, "Fucking men!" And she rarely <laughs> swears. Rarely swears. Fucking men. Why do they do shit that's so stupid? And I go, "Honey, let me show you women doing it too." Because oh, they have women doing this shit. Yes. So take a look at this. <laughs> Hold on a second. Hold on. First of all, some of them are hot. Like I find this woman hot. Her name is uh, uh, Hurricane uh, 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 Hungarian Hurricane. What do you think? I think she would definitely want to sodomize us with a toy. <laughs> That's right. Imagine her slapping you in the ass as she's screwing you from behind. Or slapping you in the face, <laughs> knocking you down, and then putting it in your ass with the strap on. That's right. And then some of the women, like Edge, are not so pretty. <laughs> Again, the same scenario, I guess I get from... She's got an Adam's apple. What's going on there? Yeah. <laughs> Can you transition and, and still slap the women? Is that what I- we're seeing? I haven't read the bylaws, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm judging by the look at Christine, the edge wall I would say the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Anyways, there's the tail of the tape. I want you to pick a winner between the one on her- the right. If you gave her Mahomes, his hair kind of looks like Mahomes. <laughs> Get out of town. <laughs> distracts me more as kind of a James Woods type. I think if, he, if she had the Kermit the Frog here, I, I I don't know. It reminds me a little bit of Mahomes for some reason. I'm rooting. Uh, I, I'm not watching this at all, but I, I hate to say it. I don't want to be a chauvinist, but I guess I am rooting for the lady on the left. I hate to admit that, but that's true. Well, and, and so, you know, Dana White has an investment in her, clearly because he's thinking of her as, uh, what's the name of the the one that ended up leaving to? Ronda uh, Rousey? Yeah, Ronda Rousey attractive is really good and so she has a record of one uh one and nothing she won in the first round in her first fight and christine is zero and zero this is her first fight so you're picking the one on the left right anybody i'm hoping i'm rooting for the one on the left okay anyone in the chat room want to uh vote on either christina or sheena (laughs) so here it is for round one get your votes in you get two windups. Oh. Women do. Wow. She looks like she would have been on the Russian Olympic team in 80. 
That's right, steroids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Al Michaels, that. if she lost, Al Michaels would say, do you believe in miracles? <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. So round one, uh, the Hungarian hurricane did not knock down the edge. Now this is the edges slap for round the one. guy from YouTube is going to sue her for this. I believe <laughs> yeah, you're right. All right. Again. And would the women get two windups one? Bam. And watch her. She blows a kiss at her. I love her. I want to have sex with her. <laughs> she looks like she's had collagen work in her lips. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. It means she likes to give hit up. Never mind. <laughs> I hope she does. <laughs> so that way I can have a really satisfying uh, <laughs> fantasy tonight when I'm masturbating. All right. So here it is. Round two. Let's take a look. Wind up and the pitch. Oh, down, down goes, goes Pat. Down goes the edge. Mahomes is down. <laughs> oh my God! Is there not a? Or did they have like a ten count like in boxing? <laughs> no, they ruled her out. Uh, or, but uh, can you get back up though in yes, that sport? You, you have sixty seconds to get back up. Okay. Yeah, but for some reason they didn't wait sixty seconds. Uh, they ruled it a, a knockout like about fifteen seconds. I think they could clearly see that this was not a good. Uh, wow. Jesus, she got all of that one. <laughs> yeah, how much money did she earn to sustain that shit? Well, no amount of money is worth oh, this. No. None. Oh, oh, my wife, my wife, uh, she had good eyes. She noticed that the edge hit her forehead on the table here, which is rubber coated. But look at, bam, right there. Maybe that was part of the reason they stopped it. They're like, ah, she's she's out. Exactly. Could be, could be. Oh, look at this camera angle. There, her head hits there, and then boom, back she goes. Back and to the left. <laughs> <laughs> back and to the left. Oh, my God. That's a reference so, to JFK, if people don't know. So I don't know what I got to do for YouTube uh, to turn off this algorithm so that I can stop seeing this, because I have to admit, I am one of those guys. Now, not when I'm driving. I'm not one of those rubberneckers, you know, and I don't slow traffic down. I, I, I've i been waiting too long. I'm going to drive right past that accident. I don't care if, if, if it's family members who are involved in the accident. I'm going to keep going. But I do have to admit, when it comes to stuff on YouTube that is suggested by the algorithms, I do end up spending some time looking at this shit. And it's I'm funny that Justin that was on air with us a couple of weeks ago that I work with here, mm -hmm. he said, I, I don't know who I followed or what I did wrong, but he said, I've got all these far right people following me now. He's like, I'm, he's like basically saying that people that stormed the Capitol are my, are followers now on X. <laughs> he's like, I don't know if I should delete my account and start over, but <laughs> something I've done has made every, like an algorithm to make them think that I'm like a part of you know, the far, far right. And I, I think he's way in the middle too. He's not like us, you know, but even he's like, man, the people listening to Mark Levin are following me. Yeah. That, and that can be a, a, a very hostile crowd. No doubt about it. Suffice to say. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I got a, a good uh, name for a, uh, you can call them rap uh, wrestlers. You call them slappers, I guess. Uh, how about the name for the uh, of a woman in that sport, and the name is Wilma Thickfit. 
Well, my dick fat. <laughs> you know, looking at the one that I told you, she it looked like she had collagen. Yes. Like her, she's got huge lips now. It, they mm -hmm. look like they were enhanced. Is that a target? Like, I mean, you would think that now I got bigger lips. They're going to fuck me up with this slap now. <laughs> well, there are certain rules. You got to hit one. There's there's a uh, infraction called uh, shrugging or something like that. No, clubbing. Clubbing. So if you hit a little high in the ear or in the forehead area, you, you get a point deducted for what is called clubbing. And if you leave your feet from anywhere in, in, in the slap, if you get on your toes, if your heels lift off, off the floor that's another infraction what about the nose can you hit the uh, nose uh you cannot hit the nose good because like i don't care how tough you are if you mm -hmm. get hit in the nose the first thing you're going to do your eyes are going to water up i mean it's exactly. like almost like getting hit in the balls yep in fact i saw some video of men and women their eyes watering up and it had to be because they got the nose yeah that'll fuck you up man BG 147 says, although you know way too much about this. You ain't kidding, man. I got to do the research, man. I, I have a journalism background. You, you sound like Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> do your research. Do your research. Do your research. Uh, well, I, I'd like to do this one more time. When uh, The next show that we do, Tooch will be here. And so I'd love for him to react to this. And maybe I'll pick a fight and you guys can you know, have a... Uh, uh, a bet of some sort, not for money or anything, but for something to do silly. And uh, I'll narrate the fight or something. I bet fight. you there's like lower level versions of this. Like, not saying that the Philippines is a poor country. No, you're just right. saying like a third world country. You remember like on uh, the Deer Hunter when mm -hmm. they were betting on like Russian roulette? Yeah. I bet you like lesser uh, affluent cultures probably have very similar versions of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And the officiating at some of these uh, other countries is so fucking horrible. I mean, I saw one where it took them over almost 30 minutes to decide on whether it was an infraction or not and how many points to deduct. And the announcers are like criticizing the officials. They really need to get this start that you know, fixed. This, this, this officiating is terrible. One uh, video, I don't know if it was the same one, the table was too wide. And so the woman couldn't reach her hand to the lady's other lady's face. It was the table between them was too wide. And so it's like a bunch of bozos are running this. But the funniest thing I, I saw were the, the official that's in the middle, when somebody would get hit and go down, you see these expressions like. <laughs> <laughs> Funny shit ever. It's not like you would see me you know, hockey on the NFL go, oh. Out <laughs> <laughs> of that one referee, though, he always looks like, I, I, I can't remember his name. He did the Ravens-Texans game Saturday. I did watch the two Saturday games. Okay. Every time he makes a call, he looks like he's at the proctologist office. He's grimacing, yes. and it's almost like he's like, I don't want to make a call, but these fucking guys can't stop holding. <laughs> I'm so tired of keying yeah. up my mark. He <laughs> looks so pissed, like somebody's jamming a finger in his ass. You know the guy I'm talking about? Yes, I do. I wish I had his name in front of me. Yeah, I'll, I don't I'll know what's up name. with that guy. He looks so unhappy and mad and like, it's like there someone is an unwanted finger straight up his ass. <laughs> Every time uh, he makes a call. 
He's always got his teeth clenched. I don't know who the fuck he is, but uh, he's at least it's not that one guy, the Brad guy, that that fucks everything up. The one that oh. was making, yeah. At least he's out of the fucking playoffs. Yeah. What about that Gene Steratore? Steratore. Gene Steratore. Yeah. Yeah, and he's not in the broadcast booth. I mean, he sounds stupid. <laughs> I, I say it. It's like, you know, he's slow on making calls, and, and the way he defines the rules sometimes sounds a little sketchy. Um, he's wrong it, a lot, just like Mike Carey, yes. the guy that was there before him. Yes. That's what bothers me the most about it. It's like, what the fuck did you just see? I don't get it. And now they're, in, you know, actually have him in the booth now. It's not like he's in New York watching games. So they're having him more involved. I think, uh, I think he's awful. Now there is the, the guy on one of the other stations who I like a lot. And I'm forgetting his name. Mike the, Pierre, Pereira Pereira. Yeah. Yeah, the former head of uh, officiating. Yeah, he's, he's sometimes they have him, and sometimes they have Dean Blandino. I'm not really sure how they differentiate, but yeah, I don't. I'm not either, and I'm not that big of a fan of Blandino. He's good as a broadcaster, but he gets shit wrong all the time too. The old man that ESPN had there for a while was bothering me, like G Gene Austin or <laughs> Jerry Austin. I don't know. It's like he was 79 years old. He's an old Southern white guy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yep. Uh, I he'd be like, Joe, I don't know what they're going to do on this one, but I think the call's going to stand. Or maybe he's not that country, but I was like, just his accent made me not want to like, give him any credibility. <laughs> and you're from West Virginia. I'm from West Virginia. That's again, I, I'm used to being around those kind of accents. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, what else do I got here? Oh, uh, let's see. We've got 15 minutes left. Let's talk about a true detective again. It's on HBO Max, people. Uh, we're Dan and I and, and Tooch are probably going to be talking about this for the next several weeks. So hopefully you guys can Only six watching. episodes. That's right. There's So there's four more. The second one aired this Sunday night. The premise is Jodie Foster plays a, a sheriff in a small town. A sheriff or a captain? I, I don't know, but I kept thinking of Hinkley's watching this when she's getting fucked in the second episode. I was oh like, that my God, what a great sex scene that was. I bet Hinkley's dropping some fucking load watching this. But yeah. <laughs> she was, what, what was she on? A, like a dresser? Uh, uh, you know, she was sitting on something up high and this guy was banging her. Her boss is, is banging her. Yep. And he is like thrusting like he wants to fucking see his penis come out of her mouth. That's a hard <laughs> Like it's so, a Mortal Kombat movie. It's going to bust yeah. through her, the other side of her body and be like, uh, fatality. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was great acting by both of them, but particularly Jody, because we do know that she is uh, not into men. She's a lesbian, and so she really put herself into that scene, and then there's a scene afterwards where she's got her head on his chest, and she's clearly trying to, you know, the reason she she gave it up to him, uh, fucked him, was because she wants to keep the case and he's threatening to take it away. So, uh, but that aside, the, the premise of the whole show is some it's a supernatural type of incident has happened at a but but is it? Can I interrupt you for a second? Please, please. Two two connections to season one right off the top. Mm. You remember the first season, McConaughey and Harrelson, right? Woody mm -hmm. Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey. They, it, as soon as True Detective starts in season one, there's a girl who's like dead and they have deer antlers on her head yes, and, yes. and she has this spot on her back, a tattoo. That is the same spiral that's in season four. 
thank you for saying that because I was like, man, where have I seen this before? <laughs> yeah, so that lot. is the connection to like a cult, if for lack of a better term, uh, in season one. Furthermore, I don't know if you remember this, but Matthew McConaughey's character in season one mentioned growing up in Alaska at one point. He says something like, too fucking cold. His name was Rust Cole, C-O-H-L-E. In the first episode, uh, when the woman is talking to the indigenous, the one that's like Jodie Foster's rival, yeah. the, the other officer, she says, Travis ta uh, showed me where the bodies were. She's like, Travis is dead. Travis's mm -hmm. last name is Cole. Travis C O H L E. That must be Rust Cole's brother. Yes, yes, yes. So big connections and, to season one right off the top. Right, and these these aren't really spoilers, uh, people. What they are is advice that if you're going to watch this, I do suggest you know you can watch season four and enjoy it all by sure. itself. But it would really be good if you watch season one because the McConaughey. Uh, Woody Harrelson season was extraordinary, probably up there with among. I would place a top three or five with a, a, a series that HBO has ever done. Would that be fair? Yeah, and if if that were a major motion picture instead, it would probably would have won best Ooh, yes. picture. Yes. Uh, another thing to consider about that is that in season one. It was explored, but not solved. They all seem to worship some kind of supernatural entity that they called the Yellow King. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that is what they're going to refer to what's happening in season four, but if it's tied to that brand identity of the same tattoo, it may be a, a variation of the same entity because there was the, the theme of supernatural possibility existed in season one, but they solved the crime, so they kind of dropped the angle. So it's plausible oh. that it's connected to that same, I, I guess, it, maybe it's, I don't want to sound like it's X-Files here, but maybe it is supernatural, or maybe it's the one guy that's missing now. Right. Maybe it's not supernatural, but maybe it's part of the same deity that they seem to uh, worship, for lack of a better word, or at least, or admire. Man, this thing is so rich. It really is. I love shows like that that you can, you know, you you almost are looking forward to seeing it for a second time. There's nothing better. Somebody earlier on uh, in the chat said that they were watching The Sopranos for the first time ever, and they're into season three. Oh. Dude, I'm I'm envious of you because that is so great that you're actually experiencing that now. When I experienced it, I was like so fucking giddy. Couldn't wait to next Sunday. I was like, I hope I can go to sleep and wake up next Sunday so I can see the next episode. And you don't have to wait now. Yeah, right. You, you don't have to wait. And HBO on one of their channels has been replaying them, I guess, because as you said, it's a, what, the 20th or 25th? 25th, 25th wow. anniversary. They actually Indeed. filmed the pilot in 97, but okay. it aired in January of 99 for the first time when they had filmed the rest of the season. So wow. it's exactly 25 years ago when it had yeah. begun. Yeah. So you're lucky that you're seeing it. For I the will first confess time. real quick. I didn't watch it in season one. I caught onto it in season two and went back and watched season one. So I've become a fan during season two. Yeah, I saw it when it was released in that first episode. I was like, okay, this this is going to be special. This is different than anything I've seen on television before. And you know, and before that though, they uh, HBO has some good stuff. The Oz, 
not the Oz. Oz. I, I couldn't get there's too much man fucking in that. I'm not trying to sound homophobic, <laughs> but every time I tried to watch it with my girlfriend at the time, it was like somebody was getting sodomized against their will. I was like, God, I don't want to watch. Like, I can handle it for five seconds or whatever in American History X, but yeah. that's about all I need, man. I mean, like, God, yeah. that's a world I don't want to be a part of. You know, yeah. if you if you want to talk, uh, 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 one of your kids or a relative or a good friend out of out of crime, have them watch Oz because you just don't want to be imprisoned after watching that show. Fuck no. Oh my God! Some mean motherfuckers. The guy that plays Stabler on Law and Order is is walking around with his dick out, and he's 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 trying to uh, coerce this uh, other fucking killer that's in jail. He wants to fuck him. Oh, it's like you, oh shit! You should see on? him on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He plays a a, a perceived homosexual, very feminine guy named Sven, mm-hmm. who has a scene with Johnny Depp in it. And again, if you're comparing him to Mr. Tough Guy on Law and Order and the guy with his dick out wanting to fuck other men and see him play Sven on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It's something you should watch tonight. Mm. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> Zach says, Lords of Flatbush last night. I think that was Stallone's first movie ever. Did you ever see that? I did not. Oh, check it out. I think you'll like it. Uh, he plays a greaser, you know, back in the days of uh, the what fifties leather like jacket, grease, John yeah. Travolta, T birds. <laughs> but it's not like that at all. It's got an edge to it. Uh, Tony Soprano is so unlikable, and that's the incredible thing, uh, Mister Mayhem. I used to get into arguments with some of my friends who were watching this, and they were pulling for Tony Soprano. I was like, listen, most fascinating character maybe in the history of television, but the motherfucker is a sociopath psychopath this guy's got to be stopped but but what makes tony so uh epic is that he doesn't know that he's a sociopath yeah right and he thinks i mean and he is in some ways he's trying to help his mom early on mm-hmm. trying to take care of uh, trying to hold shit together he does want meadow to go to school he right. you know he cares about uh you know what was what did they call tony aj he cares about his son you know he does care about his relatives. I mean, there are times he could have killed Junior, and, and he didn't want to. Remember, he was trying to let Junior think that he was the boss when everybody knew he oh, wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So there were so many things that he did were admirable, but then, you know, he kills Christopher just because he fucking wants to, because yeah. he crashed the car. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things that he, that does make him a horrible person, but that's it blurs the light. He's the anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know what? There have been anti-heroes in the past. Um, I can't think, you know, when I was growing up in the 60s, the anti, the whole uh, thing about anti-heroes was like, oh, you can't do like that. Like Eastwood maybe is Dirty Harry? Yeah, I think that's a great example. I think that's a great example. Because he's um, he, uh, he can't get this guy through the normal sense, right. but fuck him, he's going to kill him at the end anyway. Yes. You know, Scorpio, the, the killer, you know? Right. He's going to break the law. Or, or in the second one, when they get all the heat for mm-hmm. being a vigilante, the next one, they make it about dirty cops, and he won't turn with them. So, mm-hmm. again, he's more, he's still a hero. Even He won't join the dirty cops, you know? Yeah, right. Mark points out in Soprano, Tony is in therapy, and that's one of the reasons why you're able to put up. I mean, that's just clever by David Chase. 
to add this to the storyline is that you see him in therapy and so he's exposing himself. Why does he get these uh, panic attacks? Well, we learn about the relationship with his mother. I mean, his, you're talking about somebody who needed therapy. His mom, his mom needed therapy and how right. he raised with his dad. It's a very, very deep and complex. And getting back to True Detective, you know, it, it's offering that type of complexity. Uh, I, I read that one review, Dan, that you sent me uh, where the guy didn't like that. Yeah, he wrote that. another one this week. He hated episode two, and I, I don't know what he's watching. Really? Oh, wow. See, I think it, it's because typically in these first episodes or two of a series, there's a lot of exposition. You're getting to know the characters, you're getting to know what's going on and so forth. And for some people, that's boring. They just want to get to, you know, a real simple storyline with action and so forth. But I, I, perhaps that's what he's reacting to. I don't know, but uh, I'm surprised that anybody would be critical of it. Just the ambiance of the show is phenomenal, isn't it? A couple of things that I could, if I wanted to criticize the show for, uh-huh. uh, like in the first season, they show the first episode, rather the incredibly fake looking CGI, uh, elk, whatever the animal was, the, yes. the j- jumps off a clip looks really fake. Yes. And then they show a polar bear. All that seems like yellow jackets to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in the second episode, that was the same one. The first one, the guy, Travis Cole, he's doing this random dance on the snow that leads mm-hmm. to the bodies. Yeah. That is so twin peaks. Yeah, it, just, it seems like they took from the current product of Yellow Jackets and, and mixed it with Twin Peaks and yeah. the original Twin De- uh, True Detective, and that's the show. So I can see where some of the writers are influenced, uh, especially that dance he was doing. That is so out of Twin Peaks. But, <laughs> it really is. But again, so what? Okay, it, it, it could be an homage to something that you appreciate that doesn't mean you're stealing. Mm-hmm. But if I was, if I had to write a negative review, that would be my review. They're obviously taking these elements from other shows. But again, I don't think that that's going to make me dislike it. A lot of things go back to other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I see a couple of people complaining about that this episode was slow. I would, you know, I, that thought crossed my mind, but I pushed it out because I knew what they were doing. This, they're just, setting the story up i would be shocked if anyone thinks that episode three i haven't seen it but i think that by now the story is going to start to really accelerate a lot of things are going to go on and we'll we'll start getting you know uh uh some great stuff to talk about here's the question that i don't know the answer to Mm -hmm. in the first episode just based upon the dialogue between the young officer the older officer and jody foster I thought that she had fucked the older officer before and mm-hmm. that that was his son, but is not her son, but that they had right. fucked before. That right. seemed to be the way the dialogue was, but then I didn't hear much of, they didn't have that sexual, like that Energy. feeling in the dialogue. Yeah. The tension wasn't there in the second episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Did, did they fuck? We know that she fucked a couple of other people in, in the show that they've referenced now. Mm-hmm. But I thought that the way the dialogue went in early in that first episode that they used to fuck, but it mm-hmm. sort of just dropped it. I didn't see it in the rest of the second episode. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they come back to that. I bet they will. I bet they will. That actor, uh, John Hawks, is it, that plays the father who's Not pissed sure. off that, that the files were. He's a really good actor. That guy's a good actor. And I've been surprised that he hasn't been in more scenes. So I'm thinking that... 
something is going to happen with that particular character. He's going to play a major role in the unraveling of this mystery. And the mystery is, is, is to me, um, I think maybe, maybe he's involved. Like, why else would he be so diabolical about the files being, I mean, why would you hit your son in the mouth like that? Who's a grown man, yeah. no less. Yeah. And the, the guy has so much respect for his dad. He doesn't even react that. That would take <laughs> Cody Parkey. <laughs> See, I was thinking she looked like Ellen, the general. Yeah, she does. She does a but little bit. The if somebody hit you, even if you were a grown man, even if it was your dad in the mouth like that at like nineteen, could you? Even if you thought, well, he's gonna fuck me up if I challenge him, it mm -hmm. still seems like you would be like, "Fuck you" or something. Yeah, that, I agree. That guy was able just to stand there and take it. I don't have that kind of discipline. Yeah, no fucking way. Same here. Same here. Uh, Cobra Kai. Have you seen Cobra Kai? Yeah, I've seen it all. Wow, I thought that was really good. Um, the last season, they rated, they made it much more realistic. And I know they're about to do one final one. I, I think it was what episode season five, the last mm -hmm. one. I don't mm -hmm. know if you watched it, but like uh, you know, uh, the dude from Karate Kid Three is finally arrested. They 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 make real life consequences. It's it's way more serious in tone versus the karate kid you oh, know wow cool. yeah the last one they made much more serious and i hope that's the tone of the sixth uh season mm. well lots of good stuff uh out now and even better stuff i think coming out uh by the way i know dan that you don't watch the bachelor but i had to watch Fuck, no. the episode one of the bachelor because this is the best episode 32 gorgeous women coming out of a limo wearing sexy dresses. And I'm thinking to my, I'm watching it with my wife and she's, you know, thinking about, Oh, how cute the bachelor is. He's got such cute eyes. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I would love to fuck that one that just came out of the limo. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he got, he got rid of on night one. He, he's got to start eliminating women and he got rid of a couple that I was really fucking horny for, but he, there's still a lot of great looking chicks. So I want you to start getting into the bachelor, right? I, I can't watch it. I just, <laughs> Donald I feel says, like mo most of the people watching the bachelor are like, isn't it great that Taylor Swift's going to be at the Ravens game Sunday? Isn't that great? I'm like, no, it's not. Go Lamar, go Lamar. <laughs> By the way, have you finished Fargo 5? Oh, yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. Did you see I'm, it? I'm behind. I'm going to catch up and watch it all in the next few days. So hopefully in two weeks when you're back. Uh, we'll, we'll be here next week, right? And then the next show is the one. Oh, okay. So I, I got it confused again like I did the last time you took a week off. So next week we're back. The two should be back. And then uh, in two weeks, Dan's got a party. He Not party. Our concert. A concert. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna take the week off to work on some draft stuff. By when the you're way, watching, the, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say the the premiere of Draft on Tap with Danny Shimon and myself. We are co-hosting the show this year. We've got we've got a great fucking show for you tomorrow. Been working on it over the weekend. So all I'm telling you is please join us tomorrow at 8 p.m. Central. Draft on Tap. Before that, it'll be the Mac and Reed show, and then before that, it will be uh, oh, uh, Greg Gabriel and I are doing the show tomorrow at 11. So we got four shows on tomorrow. Bardon hockey being the one that I didn't mention. So lots well, of good stuff tomorrow. I got a lot, I got to comment on that stuff, and I want to mm -hmm. say something about. T Let me go TV first. I'll come back to that. Okay. When you're watching Fargo, it's amazing to see how John Hamm, because we know he's not far right in real life. Right. He's MAGA, 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 MAGA. Uh, his character in Fargo. So just ah. keep that in mind. Like he gets to the point of militia kind of stuff. 
So, Ooh, okay. but I'll leave it there. I, 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 early on in Fargo, the, uh, the guy from Wells or whatever, who was like, sort of like the character from no country for old men, but Welsh. And I thought that stuff was boring, but it, you have a huge payoff in this finale that, and a supernatural aspect that I won't spoil, but early, I had a hard time getting through that one episode with him and it paid off in the end. It paid off incredibly in the end. Uh, lastly, Curb Your Enthusiasm is about to come back for the last time, last season. Final season, right? Yeah, yes. in early February. I think it's February 4th. But to comment on your stuff. Um, oh, be before you get off, sure, uh, Curb Your sure. Enthusiasm, is there a new cast member this year? Or I don't know. The guy guy's... that played Super Dave died a few years ago, the Bob right. Einstein, and they replaced him with Vince Vaughn. Vince plays like his brother. Okay. Uh, they didn't kill him off on the show. They just said he like he fell in love with a woman from the internet and moved to China or some shit, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, like, uh, Larry David said that they, it's a comedy show. We don't want to deal with one of the main characters dying, mm -hmm. but I was going to say with regards to like your shows, I don't know if you're allowed to say this cause maybe I, we need to tune in and listen, but what obviously Danny Shimon is, is the draft guy yes. and Greg Gabriel is a guy that's tuned in with the bears organization. Are you allowed to leak to me? what these two gentlemen feel about Fields versus Caleb? Or yes. do we have to tune in to hear it? No, I can tell you uh, because they've talked about another show, so it's no surprise. Danny Shimon desperately wants Justin Fields to return. Wow, he okay. That he's just scratching the surface of the quarterback that he's going to be. Greg Gabriel, surprisingly, in the middle of the season, you know, not, uh, first after the first three, four games, he was, was finished out, with him. Right. Was, Definitely out. And then he, you know, was talking to some people, and then he started to learn, hear this stuff about Luke Getz's play calling and stuff, and he started to look at tape a little more closely from a different lens, and now he's back in on Justin Fields and believes it's best for the Bears to enrich themselves with these draft picks and give Justin Fields his fourth season as part of the rebuild. And I, I, I kind of agree with Greg on this. Now, Donald does not. Yeah, Donald. Uh, Donald, uh, I saw something from Donald. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So J2K is right. Uh, Greg has flip flopped on the Justin Fields. He so, was upset, really mad at somebody on Twitter or X. I was trying to catch what the yeah. the genesis of was, but he's like, "If you have anything else to fucking say, I'll block you right mm -hmm. now. I'm blocking you." Like I don't even know. I couldn't figure out the context or the source, but it, it obviously was something to do with Fields. But someone was coming at him and being personal, I'm assuming. And he was like, I'm blocking everybody who's got shit to say. I'm sure somebody knows this in the chat. And, and, and I heard about it. I think it was Brett Coleman. Do you know who Brett Coleman is? I do not. Brett uh, was a uh, was an, a video editor for the NFL. And uh, now Brett does a podcast. And he's got, I don't know, 100,000 plus followers. He just breaks down tape. He's got really provocative and, and well, I think, well-organized thoughts as he breaks down tape. Uh, and I think he and Greg got into it. And so, but I don't know much about it. I try to stay as far away from that as possible. Um, but, uh, you know, Greg is my friend. So sure. he's going to share something. I'm, I, I, I just, I want Greg to be careful because he's in his mid-70s, and I know how these fucking arguments can go, even on social media. But when you're arguing with friends or on social media, it can get you fucking sick, man. And Greg's right. got some respiratory issues, so he's got to be careful.
So is Dan, do you think Danny's going to, uh, I guess what I'm hoping for, if I, if Shimon were here with me now, I'd say, okay, you're, you're going to break down. Tell me why I should be happy about Caleb Williams. You know, convince me to want Caleb Williams. That's why I want to watch draft on tap. I want him to show me what I'm missing. Well, I, I tell you one thing. He he sent me some tape of uh, Caleb Williams missing wide open receivers. Oh, so. <laughs> oh, I thought only Justin Fields did that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we're going to talk about that. But we are we are going to have on the show people who are definitely pro Caleb. It's because we want to explore that. You know, what's the best decision? And I'm not. Uh, when I say I would like to have Justin Fields back, I'm not completely 100 percent sold. I'm not a. I mean, chances are in a year. Or so we could both be wearing Caleb Williams jerseys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I hope it's not number one. He wears well, 13. Yeah, but I mean, Rick Meyer wore 13, but he'd have to get it from uh, the receiver that, uh, what's his name? The guy that always drops passes. <laughs> not Bayless, not. the other guy. The, he was the mid-round draft pick. The Randy Moss loved him and said he was going to be a great wide receiver, and he did virtually nothing this year. Tyler Scott. Tyler Scott. Well, He's 13. It, it, yeah, I, I know Justin spoke highly of him. Said he's going to get it. He'll he's going to be fine. So hopefully, you know, for some receivers, it takes two or three years to to really settle in. The same thing with the tight ends. Um, so anyway, uh, you got to go. I do, unfortunately. Got to get to work. And uh, good show, man. Fuck you, Tooch. We didn't fun. miss you at all. No, I'm That's just kidding, man. Fuck you, man. <laughs> he's in the Bahamas. He's in the Bahamas, but it's really uh, one of his sequels to do with Lady Boys from Thailand. <laughs> oh, what, what's the title of that one? <laughs> I, I don't know. Something about uh, fuck out. You, uh, you lost. Tooch is busy though in the Bahamas, <laughs> having sex with people that are tweeners. They're you don't know. They're non-binary. You don't know if they're male or female, but it, it, it doesn't matter. We're not bigots here. Absolutely not. I hope he's having a, a a good time, whether he's being fucked or he's doing the fucking. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny. I love you, brother. Take All care. All right, man. Love you too. Take care. Be well, and uh, I'll try to watch these shows and learn some myself with Draft on Tap. And it's always good to hear Greg, uh, not upset, but firing, fired up. You know. Well, he and he sent me a text today. He says tomorrow is going to be fun. And I go, really? Okay. You know, because that show is so fun to produce because all I do is show up and everybody in the comments section has tons of questions for him and he fields the questions and I just moderate. I don't have much prep work to do or anything. It's the Danny Shimmon show. I got to fucking do some preparation work on that. But uh, Well, Greg... Greg has always been nice to me, but I'm always afraid that for some reason I'll get on his bad side, you know, and the, he'll just be like, oh, fuck that Aguirre guy. Fuck him. He and Matt, um, Matt Florio or what Mike Florio can go to West Virginia and hang each other, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like he's going to get mad at me if I talk to him too much. It's so weird. I feel the same way about Greg. <laughs> you know, I, the first time I met him, it was here in my house. He walks in and he's, he's tall. He's looks, looks like he can pick me up and throw me out of my own home. And uh, we got into a political argument and I lost my temper a little bit. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? This guy could kill me. <laughs> so that's where it's, it's weird too. Sometimes when I'm talking to Mike North, I feel the same way. It's because Mike has a affinity for the mob. It's true. Right. I mean, he's known mobsters. He loves mob movies and so forth. And so I, I sometimes 
uh, fantasize. Maybe I'll say something wrong and he'll take me out to the back and cut me up and stuff like that, like in The Godfather or something like that. But he's he's tremendous, Mike. His knowledge of mob movies and stuff. He could he could word for word tell you the entire dialogue of one of the Godfather movies. He's he's unbelievable. I really got to go. I can't expand on. But last thing, okay. Uh, last point: a movie I've never watched before that I thought was terrible, and a movie that everyone told me I can't believe you don't love it. I rewatched Taxi Driver. Again, I I've seen it maybe three four times in my life. I haven't watched it in ten years. Mm-hmm. It's better than what I remember. Like I, I gave it like two stars before, maybe three now, maybe it was better than what I, I liked it better this time than I ever have in my entire life. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you normally like Scorsese movies? Yeah. The ones I've watched, I haven't watched his whole catalog, but I always thought that one was a little bit overrated for, for what it, whatever reason. But the one that I, I had never watched and it had all oh, made $300 million in 1977. I was like, oh, shit. That, you know, and it's, it's critically acclaimed. And first off, let me say Richard Dreyfus is the whitest white man I've ever seen. It's like <laughs> he makes Mitt Romney look like fucking Tupac. But I watched uh, Close Encounters of a Third Kind or something. Yeah, I, that's, I thought that's that Spielberg. That's I Spielberg. thought it was terrible. Like, uh, two huge thumbs down, like a half star. Thought it was terrible. Yeah, I, I I'll share a thought on those two movies that you just mentioned after you leave because I know you want to leave and I'll make. You I ha- I don't want to leave. I have to leave. But yeah, that Close Encounters movie was fucking terrible. Like I didn't buy the motivations for any of the characters and how they're behaving. Suddenly he's throwing like dirt in his house and breaking out windows and sitting in the shower with the water on with his clothes. Like why is he doing that now? Like. And, because and, he saw he saw the aliens, and so that encounter with the with the aliens has made his mind think about obsessively about the devil's tower that he ends up going to. He's thinking about it subconsciously, and he he can't quite figure out what it is. And wouldn't you tell me about it? You wouldn't just fuck up your own house, especially if your wife is going to leave you over it. <laughs> I know. Well, just, I just don't think he would do that. It, but anyway, I, I got to go. Unfortunately. I just thought it was a miserable movie. Uh, I watched every goddamn minute of it to see if there was something I was going to, at the end, and I'm like, oh. But, of course, in the end, he leaves with the aliens. I'm like, oh, how fucking typical in Cornball. <laughs> uh, all right, brother. Take care. Save some lives, all right? All right. Be well. Thank you. Here's Dan Aguirre, the hottest man at the barroom network. Uh, let me change the shot here. And I... You know what? I have kind of, uh, Donald, I feel like you. I love Close Encounters because it was such an important film in my life as I was falling in love with movie making. I went to college to make movies and so forth. And so Spielberg's work was was something that I studied a lot. And he was just an ascending filmmaker. I think this was the film he did after Jaws, which put him on the map as one of the great Hollywood filmmakers. For box office and close encounters you know made as much or more money than jaws and the special effects made by a guy named douglas trumbull who did the special effects for 2001 a space odyssey one of my favorite films as well uh, he he did the close encounter special effects and so it, you know i was reading magazines about how they did these effects and, and so forth so close encounters does have a special uh place in my heart but at the same time i can understand dan's point of view the, the storyline eh, you know it's not the greatest 
I disagree with him about Richard Dreyfus. I think Richard Dreyfus is a great fucking actor, a great fucking actor. And then the other thing I wanted to say is um, Taxi Driver, to me, is also one of those films that means a lot to me personally. It really looks at a sick person and tries to understand his motivation for doing terrible things, trying to assassinate a political figure, um, you know, being so uh, introverted and an outsider that it really hurts the things that uh, the people around him. Uh, I, I just thought it was great. And another reason why I love the movie so much is the score by Bernard Herrmann. Bernard Herrmann uh, be, uh, became famous for his scores for some of Hitchcock's movies. And so young filmmakers like uh, Scorsese were enamored with Herman's uh, music. And so when he got, he was able to get Bernard Herman for Taxi Driver, uh, I just, I just, I, I bought that soundtrack when it was released and I've probably listened to it a million times. It's just so mesmerizing. And the cinematography in the film is great. And, and of course, Robert De Niro. So, um, yeah, Donald, I agree with you. One of the best uh, character studies in film history, without a doubt. Would love to um, see that movie again. I think I've seen it now probably 37 times. I'm ready for number 38. <laughs> yeah, it really does put you on the edge. It really builds tension. And that final scene, the shootout scene in the room, you know, with uh, – Jordy Foster's pimp played by Harvey Keitel. I mean, that's an extraordinary feat of movie making with the overhead camera shot, looking at the uh, the crime scene and the, the movie. I, I'm hearing it in my head right now. It's really, really good. Crazy Ace TV just joined us just as we're going to pull the plug on this episode of Bear Their Souls. But again, I want to invite all of you. Tomorrow's going to be a busy day here at the barroom. It starts at 11 a.m. Central. Greg and I are going to talk to Shane Waldron. Let me see if he ever responded to my text when he said, um, tomorrow's going to be a good one. Yeah, I said, yep. Anything other than Waldron you want to focus on? Um, and he did not respond. So, But uh, we'll There's have a really good talk. The hell was that? Anyway, I heard something weird. Um, we'll have a really good talk at the 11 a.m. Central uh, Bardon Hockey Talk. They're talking a lot of NFL playoffs, so it's NHL and NFL on Bardon, and they talk pop culture as well. That's at two o'clock. At six o'clock, six o'clock, Mac and Reed. Uh, they're going to go over the Shane Waldron thing, and then tomorrow at 8 p.m. we have got a very special season premiere episode of Draft on Tap. Danny and I are going to act as uh, co-host this year. Uh, uh, Neil Stopchinski is taking the season off uh, because he needs to attend to some things, but we will have him on as a guest on some episodes, and we are bringing in multiple guests for every episode. So tomorrow, J.P. Acosta, who writes for Sports Nation, this kid is a kid. He's in his mid late twenties. Uh, he just knows football so well. I always enjoy when we have him on, uh, on the shows. And so he's going to help break down some of the players we should be looking for at the senior bowl guys that can help the Chicago bears. So JP Acosta is going to join us. Quinton Cresco. I don't know if you guys know Quinton, but he writes and does podcasts for on tap sports. He's going to break down offensive tackle, Troy, but Fanatu of Washington. 
He's played left tackle at Washington. A lot of people are projecting him to move inside. Uh, so he's got like a seven-minute scouting report on Troy that I think you guys are really going to love. Um, who else? Oh, um, Jalen. How's his last name now? <laughs> Forgetting. <laughs> Wide receiver from Holy Cross. I reached out to him because I looked at some of his tape, and I was like, holy shit, this kid is 6'3", runs really fast and stuff. So I said, hey, would you like to be interviewed? So I'm actually interviewing him tomorrow afternoon, and I'm going to cut that interview together and include that in, uh, in the show. And then, of course, Danny will offer his top-notch analysis. So that's Draft on Tap at 8 o'clock. I hope you guys can join us. And then on Thursday, I hope to rest. Busy two days here at the barroom. Guys, thank you all for sticking around. And uh, Zach and C-Sharp and Muck Muck and Mr. Mayhem and Donald and uh, Mark and everyone who has uh, lasted with us for these uh, two hours and 45 minutes plus J2K, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you all very much. Really, uh, you are a big part of the show. You make it happen with your input. And, yeah, D, I, I work hard. But you know what? This is what I love to do. So um, and I'm very blessed that I can do this as opposed to doing what I did for 15 years at McDonald's, which was doing creative stuff for them. And I enjoyed that, too. But after, you know. After a while, you should get tired of kissing the corporate ass over and over and jailing Coker. Yes, J2K, you got it, brother. That is who I'm scheduled to talk to tomorrow at around 2 o'clock, and then I'm going to edit his interview and put some highlights and stuff, so that should be a ton of fun. Jalen Coker, you are absolutely right. J2K, man, got to get you on this show uh, because you know so much about football. And Donald, thank you very much for the – for uh, the compliments, uh, clearly I don't want to. I don't want to leave. Really botched that monopoly promotion. It's not the yes, I did. You know what? I was working at McDonald's when that monopoly. For those people who don't know, uh, this was actually covered in a really good documentary called McMillions. The the monopoly game was uh, there was a scandal because we learned that people were stealing the money. Um, the security company that McDonald's Corporation hired to run security for all the Monopoly games, you know, and that means all of the million-dollar pieces, you know, boardwalk or whatever, because, you know, you cut it out and you see what you had. Those pieces, the security company, one guy at the security company would – was taking some of those million-dollar things and giving them to people that he knew and saying, we'll split, we'll split the money. Well, I was working there at the time. And so I get a call like at four o'clock in the morning. Hey, Aldo, can you get over to corporate office right away uh, uh, and bring the camera crew? Because the CEO of the company wants to do a speech to uh, the franchisee organization. There's like, uh, I don't know, uh, 13,000 restaurants. So there's about 1,300 franchisees. And so they needed to be told what had happened and how McDonald's cooperated with the FBI and that stuff. I didn't know. I arrived. I was like, why, why am I here? What am I taping? What are we putting on a teleprompter for this guy to read? And so they made us wait like for four hours because they were working on the text that the CEO was going to say and legal had to you know, look at it and stuff. I, uh, thank you, D. Stan. I really appreciate that. Uh, very nice. So anyways, I lived through that. And But when I saw the McMillions thing, I, I noticed that one of the people that was be, 
working with the FBI was the uh, person McDonald's assigned to work with the FBI. I think was one of my clients at the time, and she never told me any of this stuff. So she really knew how to keep a secret. I, on the other hand, cannot keep secrets. So nobody tell me anything important. Um, that is it. I am out of here, and I will uh, see you tomorrow, hopefully at 11 a.m. Central. If not, make sure you catch uh, the shows on demand wherever you want them. Best. Uh, way to stay on top of what we're doing is subscribe to the channel. For, uh, with that, I will say bye-bye, everybody. Take care.